tickets, and every game. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York, a radio.com sports station. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN. Hello, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. I'm going to be talking sports with you until 6 a.m. on this week three football Sunday. It's 2.05 a.m. and it is officially football Sunday here in New York City. Uh, on September 22nd, I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio in lower Manhattan. I have Emmanuel behind the glass with me tonight. He's going to be ready and willing to take your phone calls. I have Marco Belletti, as you just heard, on the updates. And you guys know the number, 877-337-6666. And let's load them up. Uh, also tonight at 2.40, or a little while, I have Art Stapleton, who is our Giants beat reporter for the Bergen Record, uh, USA Today Sports, Northeast. And he has set in his, his alarm for a live call-in at 2.40. So uh, if you wanted to tweet me over some questions for him, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Now, uh, listen, we are in New York. We have four teams in action, some in very different positions than others. Let's be honest. You have the Jets, the Giants, the Mets, and the Yankees. And who knew that football season in New York would be over before baseball season? Nevertheless, all four teams are playing. And if I had my own sports paper or my own sports magazine, and I could write the headlines for each of these teams, here's what I would write. Top billing would be for the New York Giants. Now, the New York Giants feel as though quarterback Daniel Jones, you get it, Mr. Jones and me from the Counting Crows, Giants feel Daniel Jones gave him the best chance to win games moving forward, despite having the 28th-ranked total defense and slim pickings at the wide receiver position, although Sterling Shepard is planned to make his return to the field later today. Other than him at wide receiver, well, there's a little, let's call it, instability. Golden Tate's still serving his suspension. Cody Latimer has been ruled out for for today's game later on with a concussion. And Benny Fowler, last I checked, has been questionable with a hamstring injury. He also did not practice on Thursday. The Giants are 0-2 right now. And since 2002, when the league expanded and reorganized into eight divisions— only 11% of the teams with an 0-2 record make the playoffs. And for those of you keeping track, I think that's 14 out of 133. So only 11% of teams with an 0-2 record have made the playoffs in the new reorganization. It doesn't bode well for the Giants. But in any event, Giants fans hope that Daniel Jones is the quarterback. And I'm sure Giants fans have mixed feelings. They're hopeful for the future, yet they're sad. They're maybe even shocked, maybe, by the timing of Manning's demotion to running the scout team offense. And not lost in this week's events are the tributes to Eli, the sentimental value of the changing of the guard. And Amani Toomer, I saw a quote from him that he said that, you know, when he got, and this is his words, too old to play, Eli Manning was the only guy who reached out to him. And there's stories like that all throughout the past 16 years. And for 16 years, Eli has not missed one single game. Well, except for that Geno Smith benching, but let's not go there. Number 10 was under center for 16 years. Number 10 wanted 
to be the quarterback of the New York Giants, as evidenced by that little, you know, switcheroo at the top of the draft in 2004. 16 years ago, what were you doing? I was a sophomore in high school. And the last time that Eli was not under center for the Giants, I did a little digging here. The number one song on the Billboard charts was Yeah by Usher, Lil Jon, and Ludacris. The top grossing movie was Shrek 2. And the coolest cell phone was a Motorola Motorola Razor, which I had in black. That was my phone. And that iPhone in your pocket right now, or the one that you're listening to me on right now, it wasn't even invented yet when Eli Manning took over for the Giants. And since then, since Eli took over for the Giants, the Redskins have had 10 starting quarterbacks, different ones. Cowboys have had 12 different quarterbacks, starting ones. And the Eagles have had 12 as well. And listen, I, on the way in, I heard you guys talking and calling in and asking, is Eli Manning a Hall of Fame quarterback? Yeah, I think he is. I think absolutely. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. I, I mean, you have you would have to think that the guy is destined for Canton. He won't be a first ballot. Well, that's for sure. But eventually he will get in. So the Giants are at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 4.05 p.m. on Fox. Now the Jets. This is the sound of silence by Disturbed. But the Giants, though, starting 0-2, are not to be outdone by the New York Jets, who are relying on their third-string quarterback, Luke Falk, and their fourth-string quarterback, David Fales, Falken Fales, huh, lead them to New England against the defending Super Bowl champions, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game in Bill Belichick, you got to respect it, and an undisputed first-ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and living legend, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, and a 21-point point spread. And in case you're wondering, because I was, the highest point spread ever recorded in the NFL was 27 points. That was in 1976, and it was a Buccaneers versus Steelers game. And uh, not boding well for the Jets, Pittsburgh won that game 42-0. But hey, you know, on the bright side, if you throw some cheese on the Jets to win and they pull one off, you might be a very happy person tomorrow night. But I wouldn't do it. The Jets are in a state of disarray. They've had, over the course of the first two weeks of the regular season, Basically, open auditions for both quarterback and place kicker. And if you follow me on social media, I played a little uh, flag football quarterback in my day. And I have a Jets helmet at home, a real one. So I kind of was toying with the Jets and saying that, hey, I I could be there in 30 minutes. Let me grab my helmet. I'll be there in 30 minutes. I could be your quarterback. That's seemingly what's going on there, right? And also, to top it all off, the Jets, they have a coach who just simply doesn't get it in the way that he handles his business with his players with and with the media, especially. I mean, I, I saw those quotes after week one is that press conference, and I, I watched it. I went back and watched it online. I mean, come on. How do you throw your players under the bus like that? Like, like that's not going to work in New York. So I did a little post, and I took his quotes, and then I changed them to be – I edited them, edited them to work well in the New York market. And, uh, and no Antonio Brown for Tom Brady and company? Well – any fan of, of the, the old-school WWE, I'm going to quote The Rock here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the Patriots are without Antonio Brown because the Patriots are the best team in the NFL with or without Antonio Brown. 
they still got the number one ranked total offense and the number one ranked total defense. So this is going to be a real tall task for the Jets to go in there and slay the Dragon, which is the New England Patriots, and that's at 1 p.m. on CBS. And the Mets. So are the Mets in? Are they out? Are they up? Are they down? This is obviously hot and cold by Katy Perry. Well, when the Mets are, why they're hot? Well, they've won entering play today. Obviously, at Cincinnati, they won eight of their last 11. But again, they took an L today, so make it eight of their last 12. And why they're cold? Well, checking just now, they currently sit 4.5 games, four and a half games out of the second wild card spot. And this morning, they had a 7% chance of making the playoffs. Now, with tonight's loss, they're down to 2%. And the optimistic Met fan is probably going to say, well, you're saying there's a chance. Well, yeah, I guess I am. A 2% chance. At one point, though, I would maybe say two or three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, it was up to like 20 or 21%. Why the Mets are hot? Well, rookie Pete Alonso has hit 50 home runs this season. That's good for best in baseball, last I checked, and just two away from the rookie record held by New York Yankee Aaron Judge when he hit 52 in 2017. Alonzo has homered against every team in the National League this season, actually. And why the Mets are cold? Well, their bullpen stinks. Seth Lugo is the only Mets bullpen pitcher that can pretty much be rely on to just to not cough up the lead. But, guys, he can't pitch every single day. And finally, why the Mets are hot, Jacob deGrom has not slowed down this season. He's locked in a race with Washington's Max Scherzer for the NL Cy Young Award again this year. And deGrom is looking to make it back-to-back Cy Young wins. I think he's got a great shot. And why the Mets are cold, their manager Mickey Callaway has made some questionable decisions with some calling for his job at season's end. We'll get into that a little bit later. And finally, the New York Yankees... Thank God for the New York Yankees. Well, I have the tiger for you guys. The Yankees have been overcoming odds stacked against them all season long. The, the, the number, the quantity of players' trips the IL has been absolutely historic. It's never been done before in the history of the game. They placed 30 different players on the IL 38 different times last I checked. Now, guys like Gio Urshela, Luke Voigt, they have fans thinking, well, Greg Bird who? Miguel Ang Duhar who? And that, my friends, is a major credit to general manager Brian Cashman, who went out and got number one free agent DJ LeMayhew, who is in the AL MVP discussion, and absolutely deservedly so. He went out and got Gio Urshela for cash from the Blue Jays. The guy has at least 20 home runs this season. He's hitting well over 300. Incarnacion, the, Dra- the Yankees traded their number 27 prospect for a guy that can help them win now. Luke Voigt for Jason Shreve and Giovanni Gallegos. That was July of 2018. And now, finally, probably most importantly, James Paxton. Cashman went out and got November of 2018, who, to me, is going to be the number one or game one starter for the Yankees in the playoffs. All of these moves have proven to be absolutely significant and meaningful to a playoff run. Yet standing pat at the 2019 trade deadline had the hashtag FireCashman trending with his name on Twitter. Believe me, I, I, I screenshotted it. 
Now, Domingo Harmon's situation, who was arguably their most versatile pitcher, he threw a wrench into the system here. We can get into that in a little bit. And Aaron Boone was the first manager to ever get to 100 wins in each of his first two seasons at the helm. And that's why he is my candidate for AL Manager of the Year. More on that in a little while. So the Jets and Giants are sitting at 0-2. The Mets are fighting for a playoff berth. Well, you know, they're still fighting. And the Yankees are angling for a World Series victory, their first since 2009. The Jets and Giants are trending downward, while the Mets and Yankees are trending upward. And just a quick little shout-out, I left my cousin's wedding early to be here with you guys tonight, so I just want to say quick congratulations to my cousin Ashley, her brand-new husband, Eddie. Hey, let's hit the calls after the break. Everything's on the table. I cannot wait to talk to you guys. The number is 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Right after Mike Francesa and Mike's on, listen to Monday Night Live tomorrow night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. with Kim Jones and Carl Banks from the pub at Empire Casino by MGM Resorts in Yonkers. They'll all be talking Giants Bucks, Jets Patriots, and all of the weekend's biggest games. And after the show, keep it here for Monday Night Football as the Washington Redskins host the Chicago Bears exclusively on your flagship station for NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN FM New York. Hey everybody, I'm Danielle Carn back with you guys on the fan at 2:23 in the morning on September 22nd, football Sunday, and it's only fitting that my first phone call is a New York Jets phone call. Uh, before we get to that phone call, listen, the Jets Patriots some matchups to watch. Um well, the Patriots secondary is great. They got the second best run defense in the league. And overall, their defense is ranked number one. One. They use all four running backs, so basically they never slow down. The Patriots also had the number one offense in the NFL, as I just told you guys in my open. And Tom Brady, the living legend, is leading the Patriots offense to a fifth-ranked passing offense. And we know who his receivers are and who they aren't this week. You know, Antonio Brown, come on. Uh, the Jets have lost eight. Their last eight games on the trips to Gillette Stadium, they have not won a game at Gillette Stadium since, ready for this one, January 16th, 2011. And that was an AFC divisional playoff game. Jets won that game 28-21. But Patriots fans know that the Jets always play tough versus them. But mm, I'm not thinking this year. Let's head out to Deer Park. Justin, you're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. If the Jets get embarrassed by New England, when do you think they should move on from the front office, everyone from the McCagan era down to Adam Gase? <laughs> All right, Justin, thanks for the call. Uh, you know, that's um, that's a good question because, listen, when you have a new coach coming in after an old regime and then you're like, okay, well, I don't know because the the, the – the excuses are built in, aren't they? You got Mosley, who's probably not going to be playing tomorrow. You got um, Quinnen Williams, who the Jets drafted this year. He's going to probably not be playing tomorrow. Sam Darnold is obviously not playing. So I don't think at the dumping, if you will, of you know Adam Gase and, and everything else that's taking part there, I don't think that's going to happen as quickly as Jets fans want it to happen, if that makes sense, because of these these inherent excuses here. I mean, listen, I think the Jets are going to get embarrassed, like you said, at the Patriots tomorrow, Justin, but 
I don't think it's going to cause any heads to roll. I think everybody's expecting that the Jets to get rolled by the Patriots tomorrow with their third and fourth string quarterbacks. The excuses are there. But the fact of the matter is that I don't think that Adam Gase, I just, I think he just doesn't get it. I mean, the way he handles his business with his players, with the media, like I said. I mean, listen, we can all agree, I think, even if you're not even a Jet fan, we as fans of New York sports can all agree that Jamal Adams is the face of the franchise beyond Sam Darnold. The guy's a true competitor. He's an outstanding player. And he's a guy who just gets it, you know? I'm sure you guys have, if you're on social media at all, I'm sure you've seen the video of him signing autographs after the green and white game for every single fan in attendance. Even when the stadium lights were turned off, more players should be like Jamal Adams. Yet, Adam Gaze benched him at the end of that game uh, last week. In effect, and I think what he said was to save him from himself, from getting another destructive penalty, which may have led to a suspension, which I get, you know, sort of in a way. But you get Jamal on Maggie and Bart's show, and he's openly wondering why he was benched. That's, like, astonishing to me. I mean, I coach youth sports, and those kids never are left, not even after the end of a game, never mind a day or two, to, to wonder why they were benched, if, if I do bench them. That is a conversation that I have with the, those kids, either you know, in game quickly, I'll, you know, something like I'll talk to you after the game and then we, I can continue the conversation then. But how does a coach not have that conversation with his player immediately following a game? And then he comes on Maggie and Bart's show on here on WFAN and he's wondering why. Why was he benched? Adams is a guy that you want on your side. You need him. And for him to unfollow the Jets on Instagram kind of speaks volumes to me. I mean, Antonio Brown did it to the, the Oakland Raiders. And then guess what happened? He was gone. That, to me, shows that he's not with his head coach. But let me tell you something, Jets fans. I'd pick Jamal Adams over Adam Gase any day. And I think if if you're a Jet fan, I think you got to hope for Adam Gase to not make it through this season. I mean, this guy's the quarterback whisperer, the offensive guru, and yet the Jets have scored one touchdown in eight quarters of action so far. And like I said, I get it. The built-in excuses about the quarterback, a Nunwa's injury. The fact of the matter is that his team is playing uninspired football, despite all the hype that they've been garnering in the preseason. And like I said, it's Football Sunday, so Mike in Bohemia wants to talk about the Giants. You're on the fan, Mike. Oh, hey, how you doing tonight? Good, how are you? Pretty good. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that I've heard a lot of people all week say, like, how Daniel Jones is going to fail, the Giants shouldn't have been Eli Manning, and that the Giants could have picked Daniel Jones 17 in the draft, and we, we should have, you know, picked a pass rusher at 6-6. And I think that a lot of people, here's my take on it, is that it's just, the team is not very good, and Eli Manning is 38, so I don't know what you're proving anymore. You know, Eli Manning is the quarterback that you have in there if you're ready to win or go to the playoffs and try to make, you know, try to go after a Super Bowl. You know, I don't see the point anymore in keeping Eli Manning in. And I don't think that they would have had the, you know, you don't know that they're going to, they would have had the ability to take a quarterback, this quarterback that they liked at pick 17. You know, nobody knows that. So I'm just, don't get why people are so 
jumping up and down about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, and thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate that. So the Giants, uh, like he said, took Daniel Jones at, at six, and many Giants fans feel that he would have been there at 17. And I'm not trying to say that I have any inside information, but I, I don't. But I've read articles that, like, you know, reputable articles that say that they have talked to GMs. And, and those GMs did say that Daniel Jones was not going to be there at 17, whether you're not, whether you believe that or not, you know, that's on you. But, you know, that's good enough for me. I mean, I was at practice one or one of the days this year and, and just watching that guy and just, I, I you know, you could, the energy when he took the field was, was palpable. And like he just said, Mike, um, he just said that, you know, the Giants weren't in a position to win the Super Bowl this year, let's be honest. I mean, their wide receiving core is, um, let's just go with the word decimated. Their defense is like, they're ranked. The, de- the Giants defense is ranked 28th in the league entering play which is today, Sunday, week three. They're ranked 28th. They've rent, uh, they've rendered a 30th mark in giving up passing yards per game, and they're 18th in giving up rushing yards per game. So everybody knows that in order to win a championship, you need defense. That, that's not just an adage. Like Defense wins championships. We've seen it with the Giants in and of themselves. You know, OCU Manure going after Tom Brady. Michael Strahan ripping his jersey down. Sacking Tom Brady. Defense wins championships. And the Giants are not cut out to make the playoffs this year. So why not give the guy a chance? It was inevitable. We knew it was going to happen. Every New York fan knew it was going to happen. Daniel Jones assuming the starting role. It surprised me a little bit to be so early on. But if you look at it, the Buccaneers, that's a winnable game for the Giants. That's a winnable game. Now the offensive line has been bolstered. Daniel Jones is a little bit more mobile. Sterling Shepard is returning. So let's see what the guy's got. And I think that if the Giants ever get into trouble, I don't think they should flip-flop back to Eli. Because that's what happened in 2004. And Kurt Warner, who Eli had upended, Kurt Warner said, no, no, stick with the kid. Now, as far as Eli's future... I have a few questions on that for Art Stapleton, who who will be on with us, you know, momentarily. Will, Stanford, Connecticut, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, it's Will. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Um, I just wanted to say about the Daniel Jones, Eli Manning controversy, uh, I just think that Daniel Jones coming in here week three, I think it's just going to bring a different vibe to this New York Mm -hmm. Giants team, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone might not like. However, I think that Daniel Jones is going to bring a different fire intensity to this team that's going to energize the rest of the team. And I think they're going to pull off this win tomorrow against Tampa Bay and get this win, no matter what it takes. And I think he has the potential to be that franchise quarterback for the uh, New York Giants. What do you think? Yeah, Will, uh, thanks for calling. I, I definitely agree with you. I, I, from what I've seen, like you talked about it, the energy he brings, I, I was there. It was just a practice. It was like an early practice, no less, in the summertime. And when he stepped onto the field, he, it just felt different. And I'm not trying to knock Eli in any way, shape, or form. I think he, he's great. Um, the charity work that he does is great, especially with uh, Tackle Kids Cancer. And I, I do know a family that has been directly touched by Eli in, in that capacity. But, you know, it's every all good things have to come to an end. And Daniel Jones, 
he could be the face of this franchise. The guy's got tons of upside. He's studying behind, in my opinion, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. It's going to be uncomfortable to watch. It's going to be uncomfortable to watch Eli on the sideline with the headset on while his offense is out running, you know, on the field. And Daniel Jones absolutely has something to prove. You know, what bothered me, thinking back, um, and then you just jogged my memory there, um, what bothered me was Daniel Jones was at a Yankee game um, early in this early in the season, early in the summer, June, I think it was. Someone on Twitter could probably find that for me, but they showed him on the big screen. They showed Daniel Jones's face on the big screen as they do at Yankee games, and the guy got booed. Like you're booing a rookie quarterback. Why? Why? Why did he get booed? Because he was picked at five and not seventeen, or six at not seventeen. He he, he was. It's not under his control as to where he was picked. The guy's just got something to prove out there, in my opinion. So I think this might be a little bit of a, a quote-unquote trap game for these Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as long as the defense, you know, puts somewhat of a worthy effort out there. I think Daniel Jones has a lot to prove of these naysayers that say, oh, well, you know, he, he could have been there at 17. You know, why, why'd you go up and get him? And like I said, what I've read, there's thoughts around the NFL that he was not going to be there at 17, and then what? And then you're stuck with, I guess, I don't want to call him, but lame duck Eli Manning for a year because his contract is up at the end of this year. So um, let's see. I mean, let's see. when. And if you think back of when the Jets were playing the um, the Browns and you had Baker Mayfield come in, you saw the energy immediately. And then that was the win that, of course, against the Jets, unlocked all the beer fridges across Cleveland. And, uh, you know, remember that promotion? And, of course, it happened to be against the Jets. But what I'm saying is, mid-game, watching it from TV at home, you could feel the energy changed with Baker Mayfield at the helm uh, versus, I even forget the name of the quarterback he replaced. So maybe the Giants are hoping for that for Daniel Jones. Now he's got a learning curve. He's got the rest of the season reevaluate next year and we'll see what's up for next year. Um, so on the other side of this break, we're going to talk to Art Stapleton, New York Giants beat reporter from the Bergen Record and USA Today Sports. Listen to the Giants postgame show for the turning point of the game. Then tune in to Boomer and Geo tomorrow morning between 9 and 10 a.m. for your chance to win tickets to a future Giants home game. If you're the first person to correctly identify the turning point here on your flagship station for Giants talk, tickets, and games. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. All right, good morning, everybody. I have Art Stapleton on the phone. He's the Giants beat reporter from our Bergen Record, NorthJersey.com, USA Today Sports, Northeast. And Art has set his alarm, and he's joining us live from his hotel room in Tampa Bay. Art, thanks for being part of my show tonight. I really appreciate it. What's up, Danielle? I'd like to say that I was just out on the town and I came back home, but that is <laughs> not the case, but... Uh... Anything for you, Bergen County Pride. I got you, Danielle. So I'm looking forward to uh, talking a little Daniel Jones, Eli Manning, and the Giants. Yeah, let's get right into it, Art. I mean, my first question has to be uh, the question that has been asked, I think, a million times on sports radio. Has anybody answered the question as to why the Giants paid Eli Manning those millions of dollars just to bring him back for two games? Well, you know, I think what's interesting is that, that – 
you can make the argument that that was a front office decision, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think back to what the Giants said in, in the aftermath of trading Odell Beckham Jr. in that why did they give Odell the contract, the $90 million? And it's been said by John Mara and Steve Tisch and to an extent Dave Gettleman is that uh, Odell had earned that contract. So I think in a, in a way the Giants management looked at it and said, regardless of what happens with Eli Manning for this season, he earned that $5 million bonus to come back and be on the books for 2019. Now, I am not going to say that that is a wise way to handle your salary cap and your fiscal responsibility for a football team. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that in the world of, you know, gold watches and golden parachutes, I, I think some of it was sentimentality as far as how much they paid Eli Manning. So I do think that, um, that they will write the check and feel good about writing the check because of Eli Manning and what he's done for this franchise. But I don't know necessarily if you can argue that that is a smart move, as you said, uh, with him just starting two games this season and now you've moved on. With a team that, that doesn't have a lot of cap room to begin with. But um, exactly. so you said the word sentimentally and it kind of jogged my mind here. So, I mean, the last I saw it and you follow the team every day, you're with them every day. Is there still silence from John Mara and Dave Gettleman on, on the switch? I mean, you had Eli out there, you had Shermer out there, and you had Jones out there. The last I saw, the guy was loyal to 16 years to the team. What do you make of the silence by the big dudes over there at the Giants? Well, he, here's the thing. I, you know, I, and as a beat reporter who covers the team and as someone who hears from the fans on, on a regular basis, yes, the fans – and the media want to hear from Dave Gettleman and John Mara and Steve Tisch uh, on this issue. Uh, I do think from a Giants PR perspective, the reason why we have not heard from Mara, Gettleman, or Tisch is that they wanted to make sure that Pat Shermer had his say that this was a coaching decision, Mm -hmm. that this is a coach's decision to go from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones as the starting quarterback. And if you listen behind the scenes at the Giants this week, no one is definitively or can definitively say that Eli Manning has taken his his last snap for the Giants because we know the this is the NFL. Daniel Jones can come out and get blindsided on the first series today against the Bucks, and Eli Manning is getting off the sideline and getting back out there on the field. So what good was it for John Mara to offer up uh, a gridiron obituary of sorts for Eli Manning and what he's done for the Giants. So I think from a Giants perspective, they believe that the coach had his say, the coach explained why he made the decision, and they're just going to let what the coach had to say speak for where the team is going forward. And I'm sure in Mara's mind, he will have an opportunity to speak on Eli Manning if and when the career of the New York Giants is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he can talk about Eli Manning and the impact he's had on this franchise, and they can talk about how no one's going to wear number 10 again and how he's going into the Ring of Honor and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. again, I don't agree with it. I think it would have been smart to have someone from the organization speak to it. I think Dave Gettleman should have spoken to it, considering all the things that he said. And for the first question you asked me about the money and the, the salary cap and why make this decision, 
Uh, but I do think that is their rationale. Now, at his locker that day, Eli had said, and his quote was, about, you know, about his future, his quote was, I mean, I haven't thought much past this week, so just kind of taking it day by day and figuring that, that out. And, and I know you were there in front of his locker that day. So in my opinion, I wasn't there, but for me, that left the door open um, for waiving that no-trade clause this season or even hoping to start somewhere next season. And you've covered Eli for many years, Art. Knowing him as you have, what do you think this future holds for him? You know, I think Eli Manning believes he can still play in the NFL. Um, I, I don't believe that that he thinks that he's the reason why the Giants are 0-2. I do think he gets it. I think he understands why they're making the move. Uh, you know, you can understand something. You don't have to necessarily agree with it. And he pretty much said that. Um, I, I still have a hard time thinking that, A, Eli Manning wants to wear another jersey. I do not believe he wants to leave New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has four children under the age of eight. He and his wife, Abby, uh, built a home in North Jersey. Uh, this is where they want to be. They've put their roots down here. Uh, so I don't think he's looking out to go chase a ring or chase a playoff spot with another team. I think the other aspect of this is that he's a 38-year-old quarterback who, whose best days really have been behind him. Uh, you know, And that's not a slight to say mm-hmm. that Eli Manning – uh, has struggled in recent years. We know what's been around him. But you look at what happened in Jacksonville on Thursday night. Everyone wants to link Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin back together again, and it would make such a great story. The Jaguars put Gardner Minshew, a sixth-round rookie, out in place of Nick Foles, and Minshew... It, he did you know, fine. Captured, he captured the imagination of Florida, yeah. and now all of a sudden the Jaguars are off the schneid, and... They win a big game against Tennessee, and they're thinking, you know what, we can challenge for this division. So I don't think Tom Coughlin is running to the phones and burning up the phone line saying, mm-hmm. we got to get Eli Manning here. I just don't think there's a trade market for Eli. And I just, uh, I really think that because of who Daniel Jones is and because of who he's shown to be with Eli Manning in the building, this is not a situation where Geno Smith is taking over for for Eli Manning, and Eli Manning is now has to sit there right. for three months and watch his job go to somebody else. That you know, look, I don't know if there was much professional respect between the two of them. I, I'm just not sure. I know that there's professional respect between Eli and Daniel Jones. I mean, they had the same coach, you know, in in college, David yeah. Cutcliffe. So you know there's a relationship there. And I, I think part of Eli Manning, if Daniel Jones has success, I think Eli will be a good teammate. Uh, I can't tell you th- three weeks from now if someone calls the Giants and says, Eli, you know, we need you, um, that he'll, he'll say, you know what, i got to leave the Giants. But it just doesn't seem like, like it's in Eli's DNA to leave this team. There's a reason why Archie Manning said he thought instead of going somewhere else to play uh, – that Eli Manning would retire, and that's that's four years ago. So uh, I I think Eli's here, and I think he's here until uh, he decides to take the jersey off for good. Mm-hmm. Now, Art, let's focus a little bit more on on the the Bucks now. So, uh, quick question before I ask the the real question: Shermer calls plays for the Giants, right? He is the primary play caller. Yes, correct. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm watching these games. First drive versus Dallas, touchdown. First drive versus Buffalo, touchdown. So I've, I've made this observation that, you know, sticking to the script, because we all know all those plays are scripted, um, 
which I assume is a combined coach's effort to script those plays, it then sort of kind of goes off the rails, I guess, when Shermer assumes the full responsibility. Is there a push for someone else to be calling the plays for the Giants beyond those scripted first, you know, couple plays of, of the drives? No, I, you know, I don't think that it's funny for all the talk when Ben McAdoo was the head coach, there was so much talk about uh, getting Mike Sullivan to call the plays. If you remember, Mike Sullivan was the offensive coordinator, but Ben McAdoo was the head coach and he called the plays. There really hasn't been call there. There haven't been calls for Mike Shula, who is the offensive coordinator to call plays instead of Pat Shermer. Uh, I do think the scripted plays, I mean, they usually script the first 15 plays, Mm -hmm. That has worked well. I don't know if teams are adjusting to what they're seeing from the Giants and the Giants aren't able to adjust. Um, I, you know, look, Daniel, one of the things that I, I've mentioned about Daniel Jones and why, why I think he'll have some success and he might make a difference for this team is that, you know, let, let's say you're, you know, you're around midfield and you've got a third and seven and Daniel Jones is, is chased out of the pocket and he scrambles, and, and he's able to get the first down. And then the next play, the Giants hand the ball off to Saquon, and he runs for 45 yards and a touchdown. With Eli Manning, you know, Eli Manning probably gets stopped in the line of scrimmage or throws the ball away, the Giants punt, and then that seven points never happens. So I think that's what the Giants are looking at here from a play-calling perspective. Pat Schirmer should have his entire playbook at his disposal with Daniel Jones at quarterback. And I just think they were not using the entire playbook uh, with Eli Manning uh, at quarterback because of his mobility, because he was able to do, and, and that's not a knock on Eli Manning. You can't make a circle become a square. Right. You know, it's, it is what it is. And I think um, that's kind of what you should look forward with the Bucks is that, I think Daniel Jones will at least give Pat Shermer a little bit more options in terms of what he wants to do against certain defenses in certain situations uh, that, you know, maybe Eli Manning could not do. Now, Art, let's switch to the defensive side. Uh, post-game, Shermer said of DeAndre Baker, he's a tough guy and he learns from every play that he's involved in and he'll continue to learn as he goes forward. I looked up in week one, he allowed... 132 yards, 33 yards of reception, one touchdown, 100% catch rate, and a passer rating of 158.3 when thrown his way. You know, a first-round pick in 2019, I mean, that guy, he's expected to perform, like, immediately. How and or why is there such a big learning curve with him? You know, I, I think there would be a learning curve with anybody. I mean, look across the league. You know, young, young rookies have, have a hard time at corner. Uh, especially when teams can pick on you. Um, but, look, that's no excuse for Baker. I mean, he, he, last week he just looked completely out of sorts, lacking in confidence. Uh, I asked him point blank this week at his locker, you know, have you lost confidence? And he insists no. But you watch him, there, there's no doubt that, that he's thinking about what he's doing rather than just being instinctive. I mean, it's a kid who hasn't – when he was in college, he gave up a touchdown in the first game that he played in the, as a sophomore and then didn't give up a touchdown the rest of his career at Georgia. Uh, now, you know, two games into his professional career, it seems like his head is spinning. You know, if you, if you look back to last week, and again, the Giants are trying to take incremental steps defensively, there were going to be growing pains. And it's not just Baker. There were seven new starters, and now there's an eighth new starter 
with Ryan Connolly, uh, the rookie, having taken over that spot from Tay Davis uh, last week. This defense is going to give us some points. They really are. They need the offense to step up and to score some points. You're not going to win games in the NFL if you're scoring 15 and a half points a game. And that's what they did the first two weeks of the season. So this defense needs to get its act together, stop the communication breakdowns, the big busts in coverage. But the the bottom line is if you look at that second half against the Bills, the defense played pretty well. I mean, they really did. In comparison to what they did the first six quarters of the season, those last two quarters, the defense kind of held up a little bit. Now, they're going to be challenged by Jameis Winston in the Bucs, but I do think that over time this defense is going to be a lot better in November than they are right now. Uh, They're not going to all of a sudden turn into the Giants of 2007 and 2011. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that some of the pieces that they have right now will perform better than they have so far. And Art, my final question is, Saquon said after last game, Saquon Barkley obviously said after last game, I think we could turn the season around. Now, with everything going on with the Giants, do you agree with that? Well, I think it, that depends on on what your perspective is and where you want to turn them around. I mean, I, I don't think they're a playoff team. I, I don't think they'll be a contender in the NFC East, uh, but I, I certainly don't think that they're going to be 1-15 either. Uh, I think that's a big difference between where you're at and where you think you're going to go. I, I, you know, this is a big game against Tampa Bay. It's a big, you know, the Giants have an opportunity to take a step forward. Um, I, this schedule still is brutal. I mean, there's a stretch. I mean, the, the the game against Minnesota at home and then on a Thursday night up in New England, I mean, you know, you're looking at, at tough hill to climb here. Uh, but from a player's perspective, look, they believe they go out and win a football game tomorrow and then they come home and they play Washington. Uh, they believe that they could be two and two. Um, and at this point, until they go to zero and three, you can't really look at it that. You, know, you from from their perspective, you can't look at it that way. But I think this team can, you know, initially before the season, I thought Daniel Jones would take over in December. They'd have an opportunity to kind of push towards the five hundred mark, and then kind of set the scene for next year. Right now, I think it's hard to say that you think they'd win more than five or six games, uh, but who knows? We've seen stranger things happen. You look at what happened when Baker Mayfield took over for Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland last year, yep. uh, and then all of a sudden the the Browns are talking about, you know, uh, two, you know, if we had one or two games differently early on in the year, maybe we would have been in the playoffs. So that's where the Giants are at, but it's a big moment for Daniel Jones and the Giants to kind of turn this corner and show that, you know what, maybe they aren't as bad as they've looked the first two weeks. Art, thank you very much. We appreciate you coming on at this at 2, 2.59 in the morning. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem, Danielle. Everybody have a good day and enjoy the games out there today. Thanks. Go Giants. All right, and uh, we'll take some more phone calls after the break. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 FM. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm back. I'm Danielle McCartan. It's 3.07 a.m. on Football Sunday. I was just about to switch gears to some baseball, but you know what? Let's stick with the Giants. Following up Marco's uh, 2020 update just now. Hey, it is a dawn of a new day for the New York Giants. 
And the fans, they appear to be on board. We got more Giants talk, Jets, some Jets talk. I want to thank Art Stapleton for coming on just now. We have a lot to unpack from what he just said. Um, let's talk some Yankees playoffs, some Yankees rotation. How about some Mets playoff chances? Is there a chance? We can get into that as well. But first, let's kick it off with the Giants right now at 3.07 a.m. Listen, it's a dawn of a new day for the Giants. Fans appear to be on board. And Fanatics, and the way I know that is because Fanatics reported that on Tuesday that the new starting starting quarterback's jersey sales rose 500%. His jersey sales rose 500%. And they were higher than the previous two weeks combined. And he was the top grossing player, the top selling player that day. So Giants fans, there is a little bit of an energy. You see? You go to the game, well, if you go down to Tampa or when they come back home, you're going to see a lot more number eight jerseys in the stands. I guarantee it. Now, Daniel Jones is probably going to struggle, okay? Like like Marco just said, you can't expect Superman. But there was another Giants quarterback that struggled during his rookie season, and he ended up having a pretty good career. His name is Eli Manning. His first season, he was 1-6, threw six touchdowns, nine interceptions, about 115 yards a game. He only completed 48.2% of his passes, sacked 13 times. And he actually started 0-6, Eli Manning, won the last game of the season. And that team was 5-4 and when they switched to Eli. Now this team is 0-2, and they're switching to Daniel Jones. We'll see what he can do. Like I said, it's going to be uncomfortable to see Eli on the sideline for sure, holding a clipboard with the headset on. But this is Daniel Jones' time now. See what he can do. They're calling him Danny Dimes. I'm not sure if he likes that. If I ever get a chance, I, I will ask him that in life. If I, if I do run into him, I will ask him that. Um, but I've spoken to a couple people in Tampa, including TJ Reeves, who's the Bucks radio sideline reporter. Some things to watch in this Giants game. I think that, uh, you know, the Bucks receivers, one through six, they're a pretty talented bunch. And as I was just talking with um, Art Stapleton about DeAndre Baker, now, when you have a, a DB in, on your team, and where the website I found it, it was a um, next gen stats or something. It didn't take into account week two, but week one, he allowed a touchdown, a hundred percent catch rate, and a hundred and fifty eight point three passer rating when it was thrown to him. I mean, that if I'm the offense of the Bucks, is something I'm going to look to exploit. I mean, they have depth at the wide receiver position. Mike Evans, um, T.J. Reeves seems to think that uh, that Chris Godwin, wide receiver two in his third year, he's going to have a breakout game, Chris Godwin, so keep an eye on him. Um, everybody's still waiting for Mike Evans to really, really get going. I saw that today on TV. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, obviously they're, Todd Bowles' defense is going to have to plan for a more mobile quarterback, so maybe his original plans were a little bit foiled. Um and I think that if the Bucks are able to contain Daniel Jones in the pocket, force him to throw the ball, that's going to be their bread and butter. But the Giants are going to live and die by Saquon Barkley. I think everybody knows that, um, including Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, like I said, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, you know, they've had experience so far this season with Christian McCaffrey. Well, Saquon Barkley's bigger and faster, and he has that – Looks like he's got um, Teflon on him when he runs. These guys are just bouncing off of him. 
And, you know, I think the first drive is going to be all Saquon Barkley. And I think if I'm the Bucks, I'm keying in on that. Let's go to Linden, New Jersey. Carmen, you're on the fan. Hello, Danielle. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Um, I'm a, I'm a 70 year old guy, 60 year fan of, of the Giants and the Yankees. Just a, a, another point about uh, about Eli. Mm-hmm. I think what you're going to find is uh, a lot of guys in the position of being on the sidelines, holding that uh, that notebook and and aiding the new quarterback, would would uh, uh, half heartedly go into it. I think you're going to find that. The true professional, Eli Manning has been everything anybody could ever want for 16 years. Correct. Nobody's ever called him a warrior. But anybody that's, we've heard that term with the Yankees, but any guy that's taken every snap for 16 years, that's one hell of a quarterback. Mm -hmm. In so many ways, all the things that he's done. And you know what I think is going to happen now? I I do believe that they didn't give him his send-off. They're waiting until he actually steps down, I think he will step down as a Yankee. So I don't condemn the the, the, the front office for not praising his, giving him his praises now. It's not time yet. But what I really believe is you're going to see Danny Daniel Jones make progress, not only because of the fact that they probably saw something in him, but because he has the consummate professional that's going to talk to him, that's going to point out things to him, and he's a lucky guy to have a guy like Eli mm-hmm. uh, watching and, and, and being on his side. And I, tr- I, tr- I truly, right to the end, I think Eli's professionalism will win out. And Dan- Daniel Jones will only be the better for it. It's really nice listen- listening to you. Hope we hear you m- more often. And thank you for the time. Thanks, Carmen. I appreciate it. So, I mean, yeah, obviously, Eli Manning is going to contribute to this team, whether he's on the field or now the situation is he's off the field. I mean, he he is sitting with these quarterbacks in the team cafeteria. He's he's going over film with them. And who better to have in your corner if you're Daniel Jones than Eli Manning? Let's head out to Brooklyn. Rob, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm okay. Um, personally, I'm not expecting Daniel Jones to light it up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't go by the preseason even though that's all I've seen him because I didn't watch him in college, and he looked, you know, very confident in the preseason. It looked like he could play the game at this level. But, you know, we know it's the preseason. But um, it really doesn't matter at this point because the defense, you know, you're talking about, they, they, can't, they can't cover anybody. They, they're not going to real – they're not a good rushing team. Their linebackers are average. So, um, you know, basically, I don't – I expect the Giants every game this year – to lose by double-figure points because their defense is just – I mean, look, they got a lot of young guys, you know. They got rid of all their veterans from last season. They got a lot of young guys. So that's a growing process. And and if you watch the film, like you said, if if, if I'm the um, Tampa Bay coach and I'm calling the plays, I'm just going to really air it out because they can't stop nobody in the pack, and especially with no pass rush. So um, I just hope Dane Jones has a – you no, know, the thing that he does for the Giants that Eli obviously didn't do is he opens up the playbook. Mobility wise. Yeah, because you know you could roll out. So the offense is not is not the problem for the Giants. I mean, you know they they didn't light it up, but because they were so predictable, because Eli was just so you know he's not mobile, and you know they're going to feed it to Barkley, so it makes it easier to defend them. 
Now with Jones in there, you got to account for Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, so those third and ones, third and twos, you it opens up the, the lanes for Barkley because you gather, you know, game plan for Jones. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Giants fan. I love Eli, and this is this is not really a knock on Eli because he should have been replaced a couple of years ago, in my opinion. And it just the game just you know outgrew him. He just got older, and him never really being a mobile quarterback in the league, you got to be mobile today. You, you don't have to be you know uh, a dick in his prime, but right. you, you have to be able to move a little bit. And, and that's been going on for a few years. So uh, Eli is going to definitely help his transition. Eli is a professional. He's been saying all the right things. He knew the handwriting was on the wall. This isn't really a surprise to him, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And with him on the sideline, and Jones seems like he has this really cool demeanor, kind of like a young Eli, because nothing really seemed to phase Eli a lot. You know, he, he just rolled with the punches. Yeah. It's just a new beginning for the Giants, and I'm just looking for the kids just to improve every week, and I'll be a happy fan. So that's all I have for you, and uh, thanks for taking the call. Hey, thanks, Rob. Um, and like I said, who better to have in your corner than Eli Manning? And 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 Rob just brought up a good point that made me write something down. You know, yes, the offense is pretty one-dimensional with Eli um, at the helm. The offense runs through Saquon Barkley with Eli at the helm. You knew that, and you've seen that. You know, Saquon Barkley out of the backfield, Saquon Barkley on the handoff. I mean, now at least the defense has to – I mean, we're not talking that Daniel Jones is Michael Vick in his prime. We're not we're – not, doing that, but we are saying that he is a little bit mobile, more mobile than Eli Manning has been, even in his, in his prime. And um, I want to just say right before we cut to the break, that if this game comes down to a field goal, okay, you heard it here, and I heard it from the Bucks, but their kicker, he's a rookie, Matt Gay his name is, um, he missed a couple big field goals in preseason, and he struggles inside of 40 yards, like the mid-range ones, on the right hash. He missed one in the second half of the Panthers game. But this guy's got a big leg. He kicked 55 and 53. But take, keep an eye on that. Inside of 40 yards to the right hash. Um, if that comes down to that and he misses, well, you guys heard it here. <laughs> Daniel McCartan on the fan. Let's talk some Mets, some Yankees coming up after the other side of the break. You know the phone number, 877-337-6666. The legendary Elton John is on his final world tour, and we've got your tickets to see him in the New York metropolitan area. Be listening starting tomorrow in the 6 a.m., 10 a.m., and 2 p.m. hours, along with additional bonus giveaways here on your flagship station for New York sports and great ticket giveaways. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Hey, good morning. Back, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan at 323 AM. If you wanted to get the conversation going on the phone, it's 877-337-6666. On Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, or even Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Next up, I want to do a little bit of Yankees. I mean, the Yankees are set to take the playoffs by storm. Oh, Maybe. So, I think the biggest question for the Yankees coming into the playoffs uh, this season is going to be, what is their what does their pitching look like? And I sat down and I was like, you know what? Let me let me see. If I were Aaron Boone, how would I align my pitchers? And then that all got thrown out the window because Domingo Herman 
um, obviously have, has gotten himself into a lot of trouble. And if if uh, if everything is is true and found out to be true, if he's guilty, he should be prosecuted under the full ex- extent of the law, face some discipline from the MLB. But he is going to sit down for the rest of the Yankee season. So from a Yankees perspective, that throws a big wrench into their plans because he was he is still a versatile sort of player where he can get you some long innings in relief or he can even be a starter. So now things have changed drastically for the Giants pitching plan. Their strength is still in their bullpen. And I think CC Sabathia now adds sort of kind of the same flexibility as as uh, Herman. And he has world series experience. So I think the Yankees might want to switch to a three-man rotation like Girardi used in 2009. It's not out of the picture because their rotation in 2009 was CC Sabathia, obviously, then A.J. Burnett, then Andy Pettit. And you guys remember what happened in 2009, right? So you'd have to think that a 2019 rotation would look like, and this is, this is what I came up with, game one, I'm throwing Paxton. Game two, I'm throwing Tanaka. And game three, I'm throwing Severino, who has just come back just in time. James Paxton has to be your number one. I don't want to hear this. Masahiro Tanaka, I don't want to hear it. Because over the last 10 games, even after the game today, including today, James Paxton's batting average against is like 170. He's 10-0 and over his past 10 starts. And they're attributing that to his career, that he's worked in his curveball in the most unpredictable counts. I mean, it keeps hitters off balance. That's what you need. I think the biggest question mark, and, and you might have noticed that there's a name missing out of that rotation, and it's Jay Happ. Um, the question is, do you relegate him to be an innings eater out of the bullpen in case of a bad start? Or do you start him and have CeCe on deck as a long innings reliever for him? He's sort of kind of like a wild card. And for the 2019 Yankees, I do like a three-man rotation. And I think CeCe and Happ having roles as long inning receivers alleviate a lot of the pressure off of those starters to go deep into games. You can get four innings out of the starters. You can do a piecemeal piecemeal sort of thing in the back end of the bullpen. So I looked to see who, who's up for the Yankees. They have no pitcher listed for Tuesday, Wednesday, last I checked, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday games versus the Tampa Bay Rays. And who, by the way, as you just heard from Marco's update, they're in the thick of it for the AL wildcard. And the I'm sure you heard by now, Glaber Torres' MRI, which was a little scary play if you are watching live. If you're a Yankee fan, the MRI is negative because there was a hamstring concern. God, and the Yankees, luck with the IL this season. One more, it's, it's a negative. We're good to go. Sean, you're in Seattle? I am in Seattle. How are you? Good, how are you? Sean, you're on the fan. Excellent. Well, hey, great show tonight. Thank and you. I called to talk about the Giants, but yes. I'll tell you from watching Paxton out here with the Mariners, yeah. I would worry about game one with him because you don't know what he's like in a big game. Hmm. You know, these Mariners never play big games. Yeah. And there's a <laughs> totally different thing. Like Giancarlo Stanton, stud with the Marlins. You get him in a big series, pitcher pitching to him, he has no plan at the plate. Yeah, I'd worry that Paxton's like that. I just like the hot hand. I love riding the hot hand. And 10-0 over, over the past 10, I think you give him a shot. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's fair. And the thing is, you've got Tanaka coming in in the Andy Pettit spot if Paxton does blow it in game one. All right, exactly. So I think that it's a built-in little cushion there, I think. Yeah, and then you can always you can put Happ and Severino together or, like you're saying, Happ and CC. I, I, I think the Yankees have some options. Yep. You know who doesn't have a lot of options is my Giants. <laughs> okay, what do you got for me? Well, I, I don't think they're going to be any worse with this Jones. I think they got the defense and the coaching staff to be picking at the top of the draft next year, and I think we got to just find out if this kid can play or not. Because if he can't play, I'll tell you what, a year ago I would have traded two number ones for Tua I would have no problem drafting Tua if we're up at the top of the draft and if, just figuring out what to do with this kid. If Daniel Jones doesn't work out. If he does, which way are you going? Got to be defensive end, right? I, I, but I've got to think that this guy's going to win me three Super Bowls to pass on Tua. I, I got to think I got a really, really solid player. Yeah, but he doesn't really have a team around him just yet. You got to give him a little time. He doesn't, but I also mean the general manager is such a disgrace. It, it, it kills me that Josh Allen isn't on this team. If I were the GM, Mason Rudolph would be the quarterback this weekend. Josh Allen would be playing defensive end. Odell Beckham would still be on the, on the team, and we'd have a pastor or some kind of shaman or something keeping him in line on his personal life. <laughs> and the team would be in way better shape than they are now. This team's got no identity. Who, who are they? Wow, they're a team, and thanks for the call, Sean. Um, the identity of the Giants, and that was a great way to end that call. Who are the New York Giants? Well, the New York Giants are in transition right now. We don't know exactly who they are. Um, but today, Football Sunday, we're going to see that. We're going to see, is this the dawn of a new era? Is this the beginnings of something new, of something big? And now three Super Bowls, that might, that might be a little ambitious, for Daniel Jones and this team that he has currently. But if the Giants make some big moves and they, they spent a lot of money, that's the thing. They spent a lot of money on their defense and their defense isn't playing together. Now I did like Josh Allen out of the draft as well. I thought he, he's a very versatile player, but, but Dave Gettleman, Pat Shermer, they cannot be wrong on Daniel Jones. They can't be wrong. They can't miss on him because of the talent that they had left up on the board. So if you're a Giant fan, that gives you sort of a little bit of hope that Daniel Jones maybe is the guy from what they've seen. And the only way to 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 see that or to prove that is to see how it happens in, in real games. Preseason's one thing. Like the other caller said before, preseason's one thing. I understand that. Practice is another thing. I understand that. Let's see how the guy does against an NFL defense. And I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are they're going to be a test. They have a defensive line that's monstrous. They can get after the quarterback, that defensive line of the Tampa Bay Bucks, And that's going to be a test for Daniel Jones. If he can extend the play, as we've all seen that drive with Sam Darnold, right? Can Daniel Jones do the same thing? Can he buy some time for his receivers to, to get open, to slip open? And that's another thing. You can't expect him to, to totally, you know, he, he's not the whole team. There's a lot of holes on this giant team, let's be honest. There's the, the ones that they don't have to worry about are the running back, the quarterback, and that might be where the list ends. I mean, the offensive line has been bolstered. It, it's, it's better. 
And with Daniel Jones, it's going to look better because of his mobility. But if I'm the Giants, I've got real question marks at corner. I've got real question marks. Where's Dexter Lawrence been? Highly touted out of the draft. He's been he's been real quiet to me. I mean, maybe you guys can call up and convince me, but he's been quiet. The Giants have to get after the quarterback. And and Janoris Jenkins had said, and it was echoed in the locker room, that, you know, he they can't keep guys covered for 10 seconds, I think the quote was. Well, they can't. And that was echoed by Lorenzo Carter and Alec Ogletree. And everybody's got to hold their own weight. That was another quote that came out of there. And now that, that can go two ways. And, and I wanted to get to Art and ask him about this, but, but next time I, I will. Now, those quotes from those guys, is that the beginnings of a splintering locker room? Or is that a rallying call? To me, it seems like a rallying call. Because the defensive players, the defensive line players also acknowledge that, yeah, you know, we have to get after the quarterback. So maybe those quotes brought the team together. I'm hopeful that those quotes brought the team together rather than started to splinter, you know, this guy from from the mission and this guy. Like they, they have to be all eleven on one team playing together. And I think right now you're seeing, you know, with eight new starters, as, as Art said, you're seeing a lot of newness, you know, not total trust in the guy next to you, not total trust in, in, in your ability, a.k.a. DeAndre Baker, as what Art said. So I don't like the big learning curve for DeAndre Baker, but you know what? Maybe he comes out tomorrow, shuts down his assignment, which could be any of the outstanding Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receivers, Mike Evans, um, whoever else they have out there, and maybe he shuts him down, and maybe he shuts me up. But right now, I got to see more out of out of DeAndre Baker out of that first round draft pick, more production. And then the other thing with the Giants is is they have a hard time covering the tight end. And man, oh man, the duo down there in Tampa kind of strikes fear into you with with OJ Howard and, and Cameron Brait. Brait is going to be the third down dude for Jameis Winston, and the Giants got to got to have they have to know that and they have to be able to cover him. Or get some pressure on Jameis Winston and and knock him off his spot. I I do you know what I think that the Giants are going to pull this game off. I think the Giants are going to win today, later today. I just think that that Daniel Jones brings a new energy to this team. It, it's sort of like a renaissance, a rebirth for these Giants. I think they're going to pull it off. I think it's going to be close. But I think that that rallying call, hopefully, it was a rallying call specifically from Janoris Jenkins, I think that's that's what's going to push these Giants over the edge. I mean, Daniel Jones, like I said before, has something to prove. That guy's going to come out with a, with a vengeance, with a fire. And Eli Manning is in his corner, and he is the, the consummate, the, the ultimate teammate. And he will be for the rest of this season, barring any, you know, any, any injuries to Daniel Jones. But then again, you have Saquon Barkley, who is the workhorse of the Giants. I'm just hoping that they don't overload him on his workload. Take some pressure off of him. Because he has the he has game-changing ability, Saquon Barkley, to bounce off of defenders, keep keep his legs churning and moving, 
and a lot has been talked about his quads, but keep his his legs moving. And the guy has the ability to, and we've seen it, 50-yard runs, game-changing. And I just hope that the Giants can be a little bit more creative, diversify their, their playbook a little bit so that the game doesn't start and end with Saquon Barkley. Because let me tell you something. Todd Bowles, although he was run out of town here in New York, he's well-liked down there in Tampa. That's that's the, the feeling I'm getting. And I always thought he was a better defensive coordinator than head coach. I, I think I, I'm on the record saying that. So we got more Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets. Let's do it all. Let's take your phone calls after the break. 877-337-6666. Line them up. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Right after J.J., John Jastrzemski, and The Morning Line, listen to Football Sunday this morning at 9 with David Deal and Mark Malusis as they broadcast live from the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands Racetrack, exclusively on your flagship station for New York football and the NFL. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Hey, good morning. Danielle McCartan back with you guys on The Fan. It's 3.43 in the morning. That was Marco Belletti. This nice little Justin Timberlake interlude. I like that. I like Justin Timberlake there. It's good. Um, so, listen, the Yankees are on the precipice of another playoff berth. There's lots of talk on who their starting rotation should be. On Twitter, they're telling me, no, no, it should be Tanaka in one, Paxton in two. I can't do that. Paxton is, he is the hot hand. He's 10-0 over his past 10 starts. And if he runs into trouble, you got the tried and true CC Sabathia to back him up. I think that's the way you have to go. And Tommy Canley, by the way, the batting average against him, 199. Not concerned. Let's go to Jeff all the way back out on the West Coast. Let's go to Scottsdale. Scottsdale's a fun city. I've been there. Yeah, it's definitely a fun town. We just got back from the Arizona State football game not too long ago. Very cool. So, so what's yeah. up? Yeah. You're on the fan. Not much. Hey, I wanted to get your thoughts. So, I agree with you. Throwing packs in game one, ride the hot hand. Tanaka's got big game experience that there's more pressure that we need a victory in game two. Uh, I think he'll be there for that Severino game three. But what if, once we get into the seven-game series, should we be fortunate enough to get there, why not use the opener? We're 10-1 with the opener. We could pull Chad Green in for a couple innings, and then you can use J.A. Happ after that. And he's not great with the first part of the lineup, so it just seems like it makes sense. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, and and thanks for the call all the way out in Scottsdale. I appreciate that. Um, I think that a good indicator of what the Yankees will probably do is I look back to May 3rd, and I know that's a long time ago. But in that game, and it was against the Twins, who that's who I think the Yankees are going to have to go against in, in round one of the playoffs here. It was a game against the Twins, May 3rd. The Yankees won 6-3. to three. But in that game, they used six pitchers. Paxton for three. Holder. Then Adovino had an inning. Canley had an inning. Britton and Chapman. And then Gary Sanchez, two home runs in the game. Yankees win. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Mix and match and chess piece here. And, and 
whether it's a short series or, like you said, a seven-game series, I don't see the problem with still sticking with a three-man rotation. Because if I'm James Paxton and I'm pitching game one, let's say four innings in game one, and then I'm asked to go again in game four and give another four innings, I think that's totally doable. I mean, I'm not an MLB pitcher, and I know that there's more than just pitching four innings every three days. But I, I'd have to think that there's a lot less pressure on me to do a bang-up job, a, a pitch a perfect four innings. Because when you got the back end of this bullpen, Ottavino, Canley, Britton, Chapman, when you have those guys behind you on May 3rd, you, you're going you're, you're gonna to be all right. So there's help. There, there's like a help defense in a way with the, the Yankees rotation. So I, I think, in my opinion, if I'm Aaron Boone, I'm sticking with a three-man rotation, and I'm going to count heavily, which is the Yankees' strength. This is this is not new news that the Yankees are going to be living and dying by the bullpen. And thank God that they've gotten away from living and dying by the home run ball as well. They've got some guys like DJ LeMahieu that can put the ball in play, like Glaber Torres who could put the ball in play. And not be so concerned about launch angle. Although they both have, they both hit with power. Gary in Jersey City, you're on the fan. Hey, what's going on, Daniel? What's up? Um, in your opinion, who do you think will be a better pro, Sam Donald or Daniel Jones? And okay. also, I have another question. Go ahead. Would you have taken the Saquon Barkley at number two a few years ago? I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but would you have taken? It? Yes, th- thanks for a call. I'll answer both of them right now, Gary. Um, Darnold or Jones, it is entirely too soon to, to evaluate Jones. Give him a season, at least. Give him a game. Give him a down in the NFL. Then we can, we can, we can evaluate him, and we can talk in a couple weeks, hopefully, about this. And Darnold, what's the sample size on him, too? I mean, he doesn't have a huge sample size either. And I think both teams are deficient at the wide receiver position. So I don't know if it's a fair assessment. They both, I mean, the Jets and Giants are more similar than you think. They both have young quarterbacks in place. They both have stud running backs. They both have okay offensive lines. Giants, I think, better than Jets at this point in time from what we've seen so far. But both teams need to get better at the wide receiver position and the tight end. Although Evan Ingram is a, is a pretty good tight end. But he's built more like a slot receiver which causes matchup problems. I get that. And then the second question, would you, looking back, have taken um, Saquon Barkley? Yeah, I would have, because what else would have happened? That Saquon Barkley is the Giants' offense up until this point. The guy, has he's a game changer. Breaks a runoff, 50 yards here. No one's catching him. So... Did I want Saquon Barkley? Yes, I did. And I'm on record saying I wanted Saquon Barkley. And guess what? I'm sticking with that choice. Ron in Alaska. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm from New Jersey, but I'm out here on a forest fire in Alaska. Oh, wow. uh, In Kenai. Well, stay safe. Yeah. But I definitely agree with you with Saquon Barkley pick. Uh, I think that was a great pick. Um, a lot of people frowned on us because we, we needed a quarterback at the time, but mm-hmm. I think the guy's a class act. 
He's our leader. He's already a captain for us. Correct. In his second season. So, in his second season. So I think that was a great pick for us. But uh, also, I was I, I thank the fan for being able to stream and listen to you guys at night because when I get home, I'm at camp, and this is all I have is my phone to listen to, to stream to the fan. And uh, I, I was listening to the, the, the Manning arguments about him being the MVP mm-hmm. or, or him being not MVP, but Hall the um, Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, he's eight for the playoffs, two times MVP, two times champion. He also won in 2007, he won three games on the road. Um, also beating, you know, Brett Favre in Lambeau. Mm-hmm. And also defeated Dallas before that uh, with Terrell Owens and all that. And, uh, and he can't, can't forget to mention 17 and 0 Brady. And we were also 12 point dogs in that game. One giant loss, right? That's right. And I, I agree. Eli Manning, all those games. That that you just mentioned, yes. Remember the freezing game in Lambeau, the frostbitten Tom Coughlin, his face. You know, yes. Uh, Eli Manning is a a road warrior. He he is in the top ten on in many different offensive categories statistically. Let's not mention that the guy. Let's not forget to mention that the guy never missed a game in sixteen seasons due to injury. Now, some people could say, well, because, you know, he, he he ran for his life. Okay, well, maybe he did because the t- the product that they put around him wasn't always the best. So I think Eli Manning, I mean, there's arguments f- both for and against him being a Hall of Famer. I, I see both sides. I really do. But when push comes to shove, I believe that he will belong in the Hall of Fame. Not as a first ballot. It might take him a couple tries. Eventually, he'll get there. And everybody's saying, oh, well, he's got the Manning name. Of course, he's going to get in. Well, there's only, I think there's only one other quarterback that has won two Super Bowls. Or there's only one other quarterback that's only won one Super Bowl. I forget the stat. I'll look it up for, you, uh, for the next break. Um, but let's go back to the Yankees. A, a player that I think will make a huge impact uh, on the Yankees is Tyler Wade. I mean, Tyler Wade is one of the biggest assets for the Yankees. He's making a case for himself. Today, he had a, he had a heads-up steal of third base earlier today. He's, he had a two-run home run the game before that. He has an ability to play five different positions. You have to think that Aaron Boone will find a spot for him on the Yankees' playoff roster based on that performance. I asked him about the advantage created by his versatility. And and this is maybe two years ago. And he said, and the quote was, I, I think it just gives guys days off to keep their bodies fresh. And that's a perfect reason why he should be included on this roster, to keep guys fresh. Marty in Westchester, you're on the fan. Yes. Uh, hi, Danielle. How yes, I was, Sorry about I that. Was, yes, uh, heard your suggestion for the uh, starting rotation uh, uh-huh. for the playoffs, and you're really spot on. Uh, for a while, I thought it would be Tanaka uh, as the number one starter, but Paxton's been so good mm-hmm. over the last couple of months. I was actually at the uh, last uh, game where he was ineffective. It was at Fenway Park uh, in late July uh, on a Friday night where he gave up multiple homers to Mookie Betts, but ever since then, he's been lights out, so you have to go with Paxton. Number one, Tanaka, number two, and uh, Severino, number three. And in a five-game series, 
you come back with Paxton for game four, and Tanaka, if they need to go, if it goes five games, then he could be there to uh, pitch a deciding game for them. And the problem occurs when the when the a seven game series, for instance, comes up. Do you start Jay Happ? To me, I don't think you do. I think you stick one, two, three, and use him as a long innings reliever. Right, I agree with that. Maybe maybe he's an opener in a in a seven game series. Yeah, yes. And then and then you also have CC Sabathia too. I mean, he's not going to be a starting pitcher and and I think everybody realizes that. But to eat up three, four innings out of the bullpen, I think CC like Eli Manning is a consummate teammate. He'll do anything that's asked of him. And that's the reason why he wanted to come back was to win a, win a, a ring with these Yankees. Right, and hopefully he'll have a big moment uh, if the Yankees get to the World Series like uh, David Cohn did in the Subway Series in 2000 where Joe Torre put him into a big spot. He struck out Mike Piazza. That would be a great way for CeCe to go out. Go out on top, right? That's, that's, right. that's the dream, to go out on top. And and I think CC Sabathia realizes that, and, and but I also think he's he's pretty smart in realizing that these Yankees have something really special going on here. Now, when they hopefully they will eventually get to a, an ALCS, it's going to be a collision course with the Houston Astros. And running some numbers, I'm not sure that the Yankees have the advantage in 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 a, in a series versus. The Houston Astros. But that's why you play the game, right? That's why you play the game. Anything can happen, as we've seen in the New York market with the New York Giants defeating the Patriots in one giant loss, as we just talked about. And um, I just think that you have to stick one, two, three. It keeps the pressure off the, the starting pitchers. They do not have to go deep into games. And and maybe if Jay Happ shows you something, I, I, think, I think he's pitching... I think he's next up. I'm not. I'm not sure when his next start is, but maybe he shows you something there. Uh, you know, he was he was so lights out last year, and then this year he's he's kind of like a big question mark. So I think if you smoosh him in the middle of a starter and and, and a couple of relievers in the back end, I think it it might be a good position for him in order to to grow and to gain more confidence. And is Aaron Boone the AL Manager of the Year? Is he deserving of that? In my opinion, yes. More of your phone calls and more Yankees talk. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. With Football Sunday at 9 a.m., live from the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands Racetrack, hosted by Mark Melusis and David Deal. Then it's Yankees Blue Jays baseball on Sports Radio 1019 WFAN-FM and Giants football on Sports Radio 66 WFAN-AM with both stations joining up following the Yankees postgame show. All here on your flagship station for Yankees and Giants talk, tickets, and every game. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN FM New York a radio.com sports station Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN This is WFAN and I'm Danielle McCartan your host until 6 a.m. this morning when Bob Salter comes in from 6 to 7. Uh, we have plenty to talk about still tonight. So let's get that phone ringing, 877-337-6666. And uh, Domingo Herman, he is the reason for this shuffling of these Yankee pitchers and 
it, was he going to be a starter? Were, were he and CC Sabathia going to be combined two guys to make one starter? He is the reason why, and he is a huge loss in the master plan for the Yankees, but for great reason. Okay, let's head out to Brooklyn, New York in a second with Dave. He wants to talk about Domingo Herman. And um, listen, if he's guilty, like I said before, he should be prosecuted under the fullest extent of the law and face a discipline from MLB. This is no joking matter. Dave, what's your opinion on Domingo Herman? Hi. Well, um, I look at this as a case of labor versus management. Um, I'm not sure. I think that maybe the players' union was sort of pressured to agree to this domestic violence policy. I mean, nobody wants any... Dave, let me me stop right there. There was an MLB official that saw him slap his Mm -hmm. girlfriend or whoever she is in Mm -hmm. in a public setting. Right. And that's why we have laws and police officers and police investigations to deal with that. So my question is, why did the players' union agree that management should get involved with any legal matter outside of Major League Baseball? And I think that was a mistake. So, for example, if I'm a mailman and I assault my next-door neighbor, does my employer get to find out about it? And even if he sees me do it, does he have the right to, to terminate my employment? Well, see, the difference is a mailman example versus a Yankees pitcher example. I mean, listen, I understand that, and, and I understand both sides of this, but this is just a, a, a problem in our society and I didn't want to go here tonight, but this is a problem in the society that needs to be rectified. And if that means benching Antonio Brown or cutting him or benching or and or cutting Domingo Herman to, to, to get to enact the change in this, then that's the way it has to happen. I understand that your employer doesn't need to know about your every move, but unfortunately you signed up for that when you're a starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. And you do it, allegedly, from what I've read, twice in, on two separate occasions, one of which was in public after an MLB event, which I think I read was CC Sabathia's charity event. Then then that makes me think, what's, what's going on behind closed doors? And I don't want to go too far into this because, again, it is innocent until proven guilty. I'd love to see more facts come out on the case. But right now, it's not looking good for Domingo Herman. And that's all really I, I want to talk about uh, that aspect of it. If you want to call up and talk more about from a Yankees pitching perspective and how that affects the rotation, more than happy to do that. And and like I said, it, it poses a huge problem for the Yankees in their master plan here, going deep into the playoffs. It's a huge loss. He is a huge talent loss in their master plan. Yes, he is. But then you got a guy like CeCe. And the Yankees have been next man up all season long. And this is just another bump in the road. Just one more. And for that reason, I believe that one of that is one of the reasons why Aaron Boone is deserving of AL Manager of the Year. I know we're not there totally yet, but I'd like to put my two cents on, in on this now because I think people consider second-year manager Aaron Boone out of the running, believe it or not. There, there are people that consider him out for Major League uh, AL winner of Manager of the Year. Why? Well, because simply for the fact that the Yankees have the league's third highest payroll. And Ken Rosenthal, he's one of those guys. And he wrote an article and he pointed to three finalists, Senza, without an Italian, Boone. Raise Kevin Cash 
Athletics' Bob Melvin, and Indians' Terry Francona. And his argument was, and here's a quote, these are three managers vying for two wild cards, all with injury-depleted rosters and far lower payrolls than the Yankees. But what Rosenthal fails to take into consideration and subsequently even mention is, well, let's take it one by one. Number one, injury-depleted rosters. Well, that's funny because the Yankees' trips to the injured list, the IL, have been historic. And Gio Urshela was the guy who broke that record of the IL. And and that was on August 30th. At that point, on August 30th, 2,246 games were lost by injured players for the Yankees. That, that's 593 more than any other team which was the San Diego Padres were the second most injured team. And the quote of far lower payrolls than the Yankees. Well, I did some digging, and just about 28% of the Yankees' payroll is wrapped in players that have either, at that point, yet to see the field or had seen minimal action. I'm talking Jacoby Ellsbury. I'm talking, well, he's he just came back, Giancarlo Stanton. I'm talking Luis Severino. He just came back. Where's Greg Bird? Miguel Andujar, Dellen Betances. So if you just subtract their base salaries, those guys, one, two, three, four, five, like six guys, subtract their base salaries from the total payroll, and, and you'd find that Boone is operating with a team payroll that is not third in the league, third highest. It's actually seventh. And though, I'd have to admit that the figure is still above the MLB's average. And above all of his picks, Rosenthal's picks, which were the Rays, the Athletics, and the Indians. But with that said, these three teams are vying for a wild card spot. That means that they cannot win their divisions, and they have an outsider's chance of winning the World Series, according to his article, the wild card spot. And the Yankees have just clinched, not just, but recently, a couple days ago, clinched the AL East, which... By the way, if you're a numbers person, if you're into numbers and numerology, I saw one of these memes going around that the Yankees clinched at 9.19 p.m. on 9.19.19. Then you add 9 and 19, what do you get? Do it real quick. 28. Hey, aren't the Yankees looking for their 28th world championship? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But the Yankees almost have the best record in baseball. And I don't think that their payroll should be the number one determining factor as to why he can't win manager of the year. And so I had done a little research. And my best stories come from that line. I did a little research. And I could, I could tweet out the chart, but the, the voters in voting for their selections don't really seem to have any sort of system for selecting the winning candidate. And I went all the way back to 1996 when Joe Torre won. And then he won again in, in 1998, Torre. And I, in looking at this, I saw that managers who have missed the playoffs won the award in two consecutive years, which was Pena in 2003 and Showalter in 2004. Also, I noticed that you can conclude that winning and losing doesn't seem to matter to these guys either, or people that vote these voters, because managers that have had the highest payroll in the league and almost the lowest payroll in the league have won the award. And 
you can conclude that payroll doesn't seem to matter either. So what is it? So the last Yankees manager, obviously to win manager of the year, was Joe Torre 21 years ago in 1998 and 23 years ago in 1996. The Yankees won the World Series. They won the World Series in 96, 98, 99, 2000, and 2009. In that span alone, the Yankees won more titles than 21 MLB teams and equal to five, five more teams. And Joe Torre only won that award once during the Yankee dynasty years, and Joe Girardi never did. I mean, fans may have a case in the, in, in the Yankee bias in, in terms of selecting American League Manager of the Year, especially regarding the fact that Torre won the award with the first and second highest payrolls in the league at those, in those years. Why should that be a knock on Aaron Boone in 2019? I'm going to define manager of the year as noun. A manager that puts his or her team in the best position to win, which is reflected in winning percentage and or playoff victories, while overcoming both inherent and unexpected obstacles throughout the course of the season. That's my definition of manager of the year. And despite being tied for possessing the best record in baseball, or I think they're a half game behind the the Astros at this point, reflected in winning percentage, and after historic marriage to the IL this season, which to me defines overcoming unexpected obstacles, to me the clear-cut winner, clear-cut of the 2019 AL Manager of the Year, New York Yankees' Aaron Boone. There's no other way, there's no other way to do this. Okay, you can't tell me that his shuffling of of injuries and and now this Domingo Herman thing isn't an unexpected obstacle. Right? I mean, go back to my definition. It's a manager who puts his or team his or her team in the best position to win, reflected in winning percentage and or playoff victories. Hello. While overcoming both inherent and it, unexpected obstacles throughout the course of the season. I think Aaron Boone, I mean, he he has steered the Yankees in the right direction all season long. I mean, I know it's his job to do that, but he's also the only manager to ever win 100 games back-to-back. And, of course, you might argue and you might say, oh, well, anybody can win 100 games for that New York Yankees roster. Well, maybe you're right. But that Yankees roster didn't look the same to start the season off as it does now. And I'll point to Luke Voigt. I'll point to Gio Urshela to prove that point. I don't know. I, I think it's a clear-cut winner. I don't see how anyone can argue otherwise, especially in, in 2004 and 2003 when, when those Buck Showalter and Tony Pena with the Rangers and Royals, respectively, missed the playoffs, and they still won. My God, what else did, what does Aaron Boone have to do to win AL Manager of the Year? And what else do the Mets do, have to do in order to make the playoffs this year? And what else does Noah Syndergaard have to do to get a catcher? Or will he even be a Met next year? We'll talk about that after the break. I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you guys on The Fan. Hey, let's talk some New York Mets baseball here. Listen, the New York Mets, I mean, they lost a heartbreaker today. And they're, they've seen their playoff percentage from this morning go down from 7%. To 2%. Now, an optimistic Met fan, as I said in my open, would say, hey, I still have the, I still have 
the chance. You're telling me there's a chance. And I looked at the Mets. See, here I go, running numbers again. I looked at the Mets. I looked at the Cubs. I looked at the Nationals and the Brewers and all of their strengths of schedule of their remaining games. And I found that based on the four teams vying for those two wild card spots out of those four, the New York Mets have the third out of the fourth strength of schedule, like the third easiest, I'd say, out of four. So which means it's kind of hard. And that's based on cumulative remaining opponent win percentage. So it goes in this order. The hardest is the Cubs. Then the Nationals have the hardest remaining schedule. Then the Mets. The easiest schedule until the end is the Brewers. And the Mets over the remaining games looks like they're going to have to win out in order to even have a chance and then to do some scoreboard watching beyond that. Let's go to New Windsor, New York. Todd, you're on the fan. Danielle, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you, Todd? Fine, thank you. Um, you were talking about numerology on 9-11. The Mets scored nine runs and 11 hits. I saw that. I saw it this year on, and in this 9-11. Yes, I saw that. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing in how baseball of, works. Yeah. In terms of the Mets, I mean, they did give us a season, you know, when they were 11 games under 500 by the All-Star break, and they said, eh, it's going to be ready for football season. Then they got on this incredible run for about three weeks. And then after they pretty much stabilized. But you look at this season, Daniel, with all the heartbreaking losses and the bullpen blowing game after mm-hmm. game after game. And then Zach Wheeler had two straight terrific outings and got nothing to show for it. It's kind of tough. But you know what, though? You have a foundation for, the, for 2020. You have to work on the bullpen. You hope Zach Wheeler can stay because Zach said he wants to stay in New York. You give him a new contract. And you're going to have to probably have to let Syndergaard go. And Syndergaard's sitting into Matt Harvey number two. But there's, but there's a future ahead, then. Let's hopefully, maybe they can finish strong and hopefully uh, jumpstart for 2020. I'll hang up and listen, Danielle, and thanks a lot for taking my call. Take, Take care. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I think that the Mets fans also as well, and I, I wish I had got his perspective on this, but Mets fans I've seen and I've heard are, are rumbling to get Mickey Callaway fired. Okay, I understand he's made some boneheaded calls. I, I, I get that. I mean, the Mets batted out of order in May of last season. I get that. But I, I not so fast. And hear me out here. Because I realize that Mets fans are calling for his firing, and obviously there have been day-to-day miscues. But I have three reasons for Mets fans, and let me convince you to keep Mickey Calloway. And Todd just brought one of them up. The first half of the season, the Mets had a 4-4-4 winning percentage. The second half of the season, 635. The hottest team in baseball they were at one point. Number two, reason to keep Mickey Calloway. This team, on this roller coaster season, has not quit. They did not tank. They did not throw anybody under the bus. They're, they play hard for Mickey Calloway. And that is a reflection on the manager. As a coach, when players play for you, you know you got them. You know they believe in what you're, what you're professing to them, what you're teaching them. And I can attest to that in my coaching experience. When you have them... In the palm of your hand, they will do anything for you. And I think that 
is what these Mets are doing for Mickey Calloway. There is a level of respect there. And the biggest one. Now, here's, here I go again. I ran some numbers. Obviously, the Mets had bullpen issues entering play this year. I talked about it on here last time I was on here. It's not a surprise. But then you have Brody Van Wagenen. He went out. He got Mets fans. Yuri's Familia, Edwin Diaz. They've been duds. Let's be honest. And this season, the Mets have only saved 56% of eligible games. You know where that ranks in the MLB out of all 30 teams? 22nd. In my line of work, in my day job, that earns a grade of F. A 56% is an F. Now I looked at, okay, well, what is what does the top team percentage, what is the top team's percentage? I'm going to tell you that the top third of the league has saved 67% of games and above. So imagine now if the Mets had a halfway decent or even average. Now I'm not even talking C. I'm talking C-minus average. In which the bullpen saved 70% of their games. The highest in the league is Toronto at 76, but we're just we're asking for 70. Average. The bottom of the top third of the of the teams. So I did some numbers. Save opportunities. I didn't count tonight. I, I told you I was at the wedding, so I didn't count tonight, but save opportunities. 56% is equal to the Mets have saved 35 games. If they save 70, which is just average, that would be 43 games saved. That's a difference of eight wins. The Mets theoretically would have won 92 games with a C-minus bullpen. Currently, at at that clip, at that rate, they would have had the seventh best record in the MLB. Still behind Atlanta, though. And at the beginning of this season, in the beginning articles, the club officials pegged this team as, guess what, a 92-win team. I predicted that the Mets would still be playing meaningful baseball in September at the Queens Baseball Convention, which is an SNY partner, and here we are. Here we are. So you can't peg all of this on Mickey Calloway. The bullpen's failures, what I'm saying. And according to the New York Post, and the quote was basically that sources have indicated that his future won't be determined until after the Mets are finished playing, whether that's after the regular season, after a wild card win, loss, whatever. When the Mets season is over, that's when Mickey Calloway's future is going to be determined. Now, Mets fans, hear me out. In the big picture, me, I would let Mickey Calloway play out his, if I'm making the decision, I'd let Mickey Calloway play out his last year of his three-year deal. I think the Mets, like Todd, our last caller, have a lot of great pieces. DeGrom and and Alonzo are of the best and the most talented two individual players in the league. And you got Brandon Nimmo. You have, although his defense needs some work, J.D. Davis. You You have a good core. Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil. How about Jeff McNeil? You have a good core of players that this Mets team could could be a 92-win team if the bullpen that Mickey Calloway is working with would pull their weight and save 
C plus range amount of saves, not F like they're currently putting out. They're doing F work. But if you bump that to a C, you'd have to you have to see what Mickey Callaway could do with a halfway decent bullpen. That's all I'm saying. And for as for this year, I mean it's amazing what the Milwaukee Brewers have been the slack that they've been able to pick up without a p- potential MVP candidate and the top one of the top home run leaders before injury, Kristen Yelich. I mean it's amazing that they're still even in the conversation. And again, the Cubs are re-energized by Anthony Rizzo returns to the lineup after his ankle injury, which a lot of people in and around Chicago thought it was season-ending. And how are you? here he is. That's a little shot in the arms of the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, if you look at the Nationals, they have Cleveland in, in their last series. They're still in a mix for a wild-card spot. So, I mean, anything can happen, right? I said it before. That's why he played a game. But then again, the Mets have the Braves in their last series, and they were swept by them when I was there covering them in the last series that they played. And the Mets were outscored 13-7 to over that three-game series. But Mets might be in luck because the last series of the season versus the Braves, the Braves might not be playing for anything at that point. They clinched the, AL, uh, the NL East on Friday night. They'll need a miracle to catch the Dodgers for the best record in the NL. And it looks like they might be nice and snug in home field advantage for the NLDS, but not quite the NLCS, should they make it there. So the Braves might not be playing for much. And maybe the Mets have that 2% chance. Pat in the Bronx, you're on a fan. Hey, Danielle. First time, long time. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? I admire your work. Thank you. And uh, Mickey Calloway's fate. What are we going to do about Mickey Calloway? What are we going to do about Brody Van Wagenen bringing in Cano and Diaz and Lowry? I mean... It just seems to me that we set ourselves up for the futures in some positions. It's nice to have J.D. Davis. It's nice to have Marcus Stroman. It's nice going forward. But we've got a lot of redundancy. We've got a lot of extra people at the same position. And it seems to me that the Mets are, 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 are headed for some trouble next year as well. Uh, somebody's got to be the fall guy. We have such a dynamic team in certain positions with Lowry coming back and uh, Polar Bear and Flying Squirrel. All the people that that the Mets have have used to to put together a powerhouse offensive team. What do you think of that? Well, Pat, I appreciate the call. Um, A Mets fan from the Bronx, uh, too. Um, Listen, it's always a work in progress. And if you have a, a surplus at any position, then that makes some of the players expendable. And I know they're not going to be trading Jeff McNeil anytime soon. But Robinson Cano, I, I did not like that contract to begin with. And it, I, I said it was going to bother the Mets for a long time, that Robinson Cano contract. Can you find a suitor to take him? Probably not. So you're probably going to have to eat that money and relegate him to a bench role. That's where I think I I would see Robinson Cano next year. But again, the Mets made huge strides this year. They called up Alonzo. They called up McNeil. They weren't afraid to do that. J.D. Davis, Marcus Trump, you, 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 you hit it. So now 
What's the one last piece that Brody Van Wagen has to install? A, a workable bullpen. A bullpen that's not going to give up. And if they could do that, man, the Mets would be a 92-win team this year if they saved C-minus amount of work. Scott, you've been hanging on for a long time. You're on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. Uh, I love your show. You're Thank you. Good. How are you? I want to talk to you about uh, Domingo Herman. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling is that I, I'm just uh, first and foremost, I'm a uh, victim of domestic violence, and um, I don't believe he should be allowed to um, to play baseball. I mean, I don't know. I know this year and maybe going forward, it's uh, very uh, disheartening that I haven't seen him or heard him come forward and express his remorse for what he did. And um, supposedly ESPN reported that he was uh, some party with his, I don't know, the girlfriend or wife or and uh, slapped her in the face. And um, it, it's just uncalled for. And I just wanted to get your take on where do you think he should be going forward? I, I think domestic violence outrules any kind of sports uh, whatsoever. Yes. It's not about winning and losing at this point. It's about the, the woman's um, well-being and... Um, I just wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, and there's a kid involved. And thanks, I appreciate you opening up about that as well. And, and there's a kid involved. I mean, I wish that there we lived in a world where if, if something like that happens, they are immediately deemed unemployable from then on. But that's not the world we live in, unfortunately. Maybe the culture change has to start now. I don't know. But if it was up to me, the guy would never pitch in the MLB again. And it's not just him, it's all the rest of them. All right, we'll talk more Mets, Yankees, Giants, Jets. Who are you taking in the Yankees rotation for the playoffs? Giants going to win tomorrow? How about the Jets? 21-point underdogs versus the Patriots. More after the break. It's the Yankees' final regular season home game today as they host the Toronto Blue Jays. This is John Sterling. Join me along with Susan Waldman for all the action. Game Time 105, Yankees pregame at 12.25, exclusively on your flagship station for Yankees talk, playoff tickets, and every game. The Fan, Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And good morning. I'm Daniel McCartan, back with you on WFAN Radio, Lower Manhattan, from the Mike Francesa studio. We are live. It is 4.43 in the morning. I'm with you guys until 6 a.m. Bob Salter is going to come in at 6. And I'd like to just quickly talk about Jets and Giants, man. Jets 21-point underdogs. Giants are, are 6.5-point underdogs. Who do you have winning? Who, who's winning tomorrow? Giants at Bucks or Jets at Patriots? Is there going to be a surprise tomorrow? Will one of those 0-2 teams come out with a win? Time will tell. Let's go to John and Wyckoff. You're on the fan. Hi, good morning, Danielle. How, How are, are you? you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm just sick over this Giants team. This is just the third year in a row of just horrible football. I can't understand how Mara and Gettleman thought they had a competitive team going on the field this year. And like Francesca says, you know, we're, we're the most loyal fans in sports. And I, I just don't know where this team is going. Do you? I, I wish I did. I don't. 
I, I mean, it's it's just a joke now. You know, I, I mean, last year drafting Barkley was was a given. I mean, okay, good pick. Yep. But other than that, this team, the defense, there there is just no. There and and I don't know what what uh, what's the the coordinator's name Becker. Uh, Betcher, James Betcher. Betcher. James yeah. Betcher. I, I mean, I don't know what he's supposed to do with what he's been given. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at it, and since December 29th, 2017, when um, Gettleman started with the Giants, he traded Jason Pierre-Paul, Damon Harrison, Eli Apple, Olivier Vernon, and Odell Beckham Jr., and he allowed Landon Collins to walk to the division rival Washington Redskins. So exactly, yeah. you're talking six starters and your defensive captain are playing in different teams in 2018 and 2019. Right, right. And uh, it's just, I mean, I, I see a little little improvement with the offensive line this year. I have to say that. Yes, yes. Um, hopefully this kid Jones comes in. I, I, I hope and I'm praying he has a good game today. You know, I mean, I hope he can it, it just do something positive. Well, I mean, hold your breath because, I mean, don't hold your breath because, <laughs> you know, he, he the wide receivers decimated. Latimer's out. Benny Fowler, Fowler I'm not sure he's going to go. But then again, you're looking at that and you're like, wait a minute, the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. And this yeah. is what we're working with. I mean, yeah. these guys are talented. I'm sure they are. But you had one of the, the most talented, most talented wide receivers in the game, regardless of what your personal opinion is about him. Oh, I know. You, you let him go. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. I mean that that was that was a tough call. Um, I I was reading though that Shepard's back today, I believe. Correct? Yes, he is. That's what I yeah. read as well. Yep. So that's that's a help. That's a help. But yeah. it's just it's just it's getting old now. I mean, year three, and maybe we're going to win three or four games this year. It's just, and it's it's not fair. I mean, I was at the game last Sunday. I'm not a season ticket holder, but the fans that are paying hundreds of dollars a ticket. Thousands in seat licenses, and this is the product on the field. And most of them are gone by the end of the third quarter. I was there as well. Yeah, oh, they were. Yeah, I was. I was in section three hundred five on Sunday, and looking down over the mid level of the stadium by the kickoff of the second half, that whole midsection was empty. Yep. And it's it's just it's it's sad. It really is. It's urgent, and 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 thanks yeah. for John, the call, John. I appreciate that. Good call. Okay. Um, it's urgent. Uh, Giants fans, as you can hear in his voice, are at wit's end with, with with what's going on. And I think that if Giants fans knew what the plan was, I think they'd be a little bit more willing and understanding in a way. Like, like for example, this Daniel Jones thing. Everybody knows that he he, he, has, he needs room to grow. But when you're Dave Gettleman and you let go all of those guys I mentioned on that phone call, and now you have nothing to show for it in a way. You have the, the 28th ranked defense in the league. Mm, I'm not sure that sits well with Giants fans. And and even last year, they were, what was it, 24th in yards per game, 30th in sacks. I mean, this Dexter Lawrence, he's supposed to be, you know, a nice player. I haven't really heard his name called really yet at all. Corey Ballantyne? I mean, give the guy the start already. And and listen, I, I don't know what you think about Odell Beckham Jr. personally, his personality, his antics, but you cannot deny the guy's talent. And me, the coach that I am, I, I personally never give up on talent. 
And in a way, I feel that the Giants might have given up on Odell Beckham Jr. And they sent him to Cleveland. And there he is with a dynamic quarterback. And we'll see what they can do. They have yet to prove themselves. I just wanted to finish up some thoughts on on, on the Mets real quick. Um, Again, 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Um, But there's been this debate about Noah Syndergaard and his catcher, Ramos, Nito. I just want to tell you, and this is going to tie into the Yankees too, the idea of, of pitcher having a personal catcher is not a new one. It's not new. It's not revolutionary. And it's also not going away. Because quite frankly, for some pitchers, it just works. Yankee fans, I'll appeal to you. Andy Pettit, whose number 46 is retired in Yankee Stadium's Monument Park, might be the most notable pitcher in recent memory of New Yorkers, besides Noah Syndergaard, to employ this strategy. And his personal catcher was Jimmy Laritz. And Laritz explained to me, and he said, it started the year before when Andy first got called up in 95. Him and Mike Stanley weren't, were not clicking, and he asked Buck Showalter if he could have me catch him once. For some reason, he pitched really well, and it just clicked. From that point on, I became his personal catcher. It was just something that we could read each other's uh, completely different personalities that somehow meshed together. Jim Laritz was Pettit's choice of catcher, not Mike Stanley. And Pettit's career statistics prove that his duet with Laritz was a better, more effective duo. The choice as to who would catch when Pettit pitched was was pretty obvious. With Laritz, Pettit won, pitched deeper into games. Statistically proven. I'll, I'll tweet out the chart if you need me to. Pettit, number two, had a better strikeout-to-walk ratio. Number three, possessed a lower earn-run average. Four, opposing hitters earned a lower batting average. Five, opposing hitters earned a lower on-base plus slugging percentage. And guess what? One, two, all of those five bullets, the same exact situation with Syndergaard and Nito. I'll tweet the chart if you need me to, if you, if you need proof. The same exact. With Nito, Syndergaard pitches deeper into games, has a better strikeout-to-walk ratio. I'm going to read the whole list again. So, you know, he went about asking for a quote-unquote, not even using the words personal catcher, but that leaked somehow. But you could see clear as day that he's not wrong for whatever reason. We won't know whether it's their personalities. Uh, Him and Ramos, I'm talking, and him and Nito. Is it their personalities that click? Is it their approach to the game? Is it a self-fulfilling prophecy on the part of Noah Syndergaard when he sees... Wilson Ramos back there, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I can't pitch to him. You know, you can't peg it for certain. The only problem with requesting Nito was not the fact that Noah Syndergaard asked for Nito. It is simply the fact that Ramos is tremendously better than Nito offensively. And that's the problem. Ramos has a batting average about 100 points higher than Nito. Ramos has an on-base percentage about 150 points higher than Nito. Ramos has an on-base plus slugging percentage over 200 points higher than Nito's. So with that being said, the Mets cannot afford to take his bat out of the lineup every fifth day. 
That is the issue with Syndergaard's request for a personal catcher. And, you know, it might be a little too little too late for that. But because Syndergaard might be on his way out. The Mets might be trading Noah Syndergaard. But that's my stance on personal catchers. You look at the statistics. If they tell the story, I mean, did, did anybody kill Andy Pettit in 1996 when Jimmy Lairitz was his catcher? Probably not. I don't know. I was like eight, so I don't really remember that far back. But I'm going to guess probably not. Wasn't a big deal. So why is it a big deal with Noah Syngard? Jim in Queens, you're on a fan. Hi, how you doing there? Good, how are you? Cool. Uh, I wanted to talk about Shaquan Barkley. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the day with Bill Parcells and, you know, when the Giants were winning and when they won the Super Bowls, they had two running backs. Yes. Uh, I don't understand why we don't have a, a good second running back to complement everything. It'll help the, the, the new quarterback. It'll also definitely help Shaquan Barkley. You know, you can't use Shaquan Barkley as uh, they want to give him 30 carries per game. I don't think that's a good idea. Keep him with his 15-20. Get him running out of the backfield. Get some passes to him. Use him the way you use him. Use him sparingly. And get a second good running back, you know. I mean, Wayne Gallman it is pretty good. No, they got to do a little better. They got to be, first of all, the whole game is based on first downs. The Giants are not getting any first downs. You got to get your first downs. So if if you got the second running back, he's getting like three or four yards per run. Then when they go, And then this way, they're not always set on Shaquan Barkley. They're, they can't always just like, oh, we know he's going to get the ball and we're going to you know, just uh, key on him. So what if so I it, so what if I told you Wayne Gallman's averaging eight eight and a half yards per rush? Is he really? Yeah, with a touchdown. I mean, he hasn't touched the ball much, but it didn't feel that way. All, all I know is that this team always struggles to get first downs. They're always pumping. Yeah, you know? well, or yeah, well, that's what it is. They're they're struggling to get the yards on first and second down, which makes third down near impossible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well. I mean, I, I mean, they have somebody. Then thanks for the call, Jim. Um, the Giants have somebody. His name is Wayne Gallman, and he's he's okay. Um, but Saquon Barkley is your bread and butter. I mean, you have schemes. You have schemes offensively drawn up just for Saquon Barkley, and to play to his strengths. I mean, I would think, right? So, you know, there's a reason why Wayne Gallman doesn't get a lot of touches. Well, when he does. Eight and a half yards a rush. It's not that's not bad. I mean, also he, he touched on play calling balance. You know, Eli Manning, when it was his turn, he couldn't throw forty passes a game and, and the Giants expect to win. Same thing with Saquon Barkley. He can't touch the ball 30, 35, 40 times a game. Cause if he does that, that that means the Giants are in trouble. That means they can't get anything going. And at that point, is he just playing for stats? Are they are they playing for the win? You know, and not that Saquon Barkley is a stats guy. I'm just saying. So if Saquon Barkley is touching the ball that much in a game, whether it be out of the backfield and catching passes, screen passes, you know, any of that. I mean, if he's your number one receiver 
in any game, you're in trouble. In, in terms of numbers of targets, you're in trouble. And so we have, uh, what else coming up? We have the New York Mets, a uh, slim, slim chance of making the playoffs. We have the Yankees gearing up for a deep playoff run. So, And then the Giants and Jets, both at 0-2, are, uh, are on the downturn. We'll touch on all that after the break. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York, a radio.com sports station. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN. Hey, good morning, everybody, at 5.05 a.m. on Sunday, football Sunday. September 22nd, 2019. I'm Danielle McCartan, bringing you all the way to 6 a.m. We are in the final, racing towards the final home stretch, final hour of my show here on WFAM. And uh, so listen, uh, we have four teams, four major teams in action, some in very different positions than others. We have the Jets, Giants, Mets, and Yankees. And joke I said before was, who knew that football season in New York would be over before baseball season in New York? Tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Nevertheless, all the four teams are playing. And if I had my own sports paper, I said before, the Giants would get top billing. And that would be because of the switch. Daniel Jones is getting the start today. It's mostly, I'm checking the weather right now, mostly sunny. Tampa Bay, Florida, high of 91 degrees. Humidity 62%. And that will be the stage in in uh, Raymond James Stadium for Daniel Jones and the Giants. Mr. Jones and Me was a song I let in with before. And um, Giants, he, he can give them the best chance to win moving forward. Despite having a 28th-ranked total defense and some slim pickings on who's going to catch the ball for him. Although Sterling Shepard is planning to make his return to the field later today. John in Farmingdale, you're on the fan. Hi, uh, I was calling because I just think that when it comes to the Giants, I think that while some of their decisions to to trade players and move players off the team and or let them go, I think some of them can be questioned. But I mean, I think uh, when it comes to Odell Beckham Jr., I just think there's certain players that are just very toxic, and I think that Odell Beckham Jr., why he was an insane talent on the field, I just think that he was a very toxic personality to have in the locker room. While he's been semi-good behavior-wise in Cleveland, I think if the losing keeps up, I think it'll only be a matter of time before that atomic bomb gets uh, unleashed again. Uh, I mean, the way I kind of look at Beckham is I kind of look at Beckham as kind of like another Antonio Brown minus the -the off-the-field issues um, that's going on now. Um, but I kind of view Odell Beckham Jr. and Antonio Brown as similar players and the fact that they're both great talents, but it just seems like they're toxic. Um, so I don't necessarily think that the Giants made a bad call getting rid of him. I will say that uh, in another way, the Steelers and Giants have similarities is that both of them have basically really struck out with defensive picks and free agents and whatnot. I mean, it just seems like no matter what, these two franchises that really are known for their defense just can't seem to stop anybody anymore. And I think that's their biggest issue other than in previous years with their offensive line. I think right now their defense is just pretty much a joke. 
Yeah, and 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 thanks for the call, uh, John. I agree, and I think I, I even last year. I mean, it goes back to last year that I, I ran some numbers last year, and if the Giants had a defense that was like you know halfway decent, they would have been comparable in terms of wins and losses to the Bears. And we know that the Bears made the playoffs. And as far as Odell, listen, I, I can't talk about him as as if I'm in the Giants locker room because obviously I'm not. And but I could only talk about my experience with Odell Beckham and what I've read and what I've seen. And you know, as you were talking, I just jotted down these four things. Odell, I mean, he buys things for his teammates, sneakers. I think for the entire team. Um, I've only had a good experience with him. I know that he reached out to Kim Jones personally after she had her medical situation. Thank God she's alive and everything. But he reached out to her personally. I mean, I know for a fact in, in the arena in which I met him, I did a, a he, he put on a football camp for women. I was playing football with Odell Beckham Jr., throwing passes. And I, and I went in there with that mentality like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what this guy's about. I'll be honest, with, with the same mentality you just called up with. And let me tell you something. He absolutely changed my mind about him. And I know that's a small sliver. I know I'm not in the locker room playing 16 games with him, maybe playoffs. But in my experience with Odell Beckham Jr., I mean, it's all been positive. And and the fact that he's one of one of the only players that puts on a football camp for women, kids, everybody does kids' camps, but there's only a handful of them that do it for women. And Odell Beckham did it here in, in New Jersey, well, here in New York, but it was in New Jersey with the Giants. And, he, and I saw that he is continuing it in Cleveland with the Browns. So that's my experience with him, I, and that that's that's it. Eric in Ronkonkoma, you're on the fan. How you doing, Daniel? Good, how are you? Good, good. Okay, quick thing on the, on the DeGrom and then a quick uh, football uh, Jets-Giant question. Sure, uh, what, is it, is it How realistic is it that uh, you think DeGrom has a shot for that second Cy Young, do you think? I think it's a really good possibility. Really? So he's let, he's let, my let's pick. Say, I, I, believe, I believe he's got one more start. Am I correct in that? I probably, yes. Okay, so if he, I'm just going to throw hypotheticals out on you. If you were to, let's say, give one earned run over seven um, on there, I mean, we don't know what Ryu's going to do, obviously, but because uh, uh, I, I don't really, I don't really know how close it is between those two. Uh, you know, because I know Ryu had had fallen off a little bit. Uh, yeah, in, I, in the last month on there. So yeah, I think he's fallen off a lot of bit over the past month or so. Oh. I, it's really between um, Strasburg and I mean um, Scherzer and. Degrom, Scherzer, Scherzer, and Degrom now. Okay. Yeah, those are the two right, front runners. I, I think I I would honestly give Scherzer a little bit of a of a um, of a little little advantage, but it's nothing right. that can't be overcome by Jacob Degrom. Right. Okay. Quick thing. Now you were you were talking a couple minutes ago about uh, uh, Gettleman getting ready, uh, getting rid of some of the Giants on there, and it hasn't really worked out. Mm-hmm. Is there any comparison at all? You think with uh, Douglas? Uh, as far as because they've gotten rid of a lot of McCagnan's guys just for the sake that you know they they didn't like you know a lot of those guys that he had brought in on there you know but again it's 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 a pretty big overhaul there considering the amount of time he's been there you know so both both getting rid of a lot of a got a lot of guys but we don't know how that's going to work out for the Jets yet yeah all right and thanks for the call I'll answer that question and and a long winded answer Eric um. I think the mentality with the Jets doing a lot of of the dumping of the personnel 
had to do with the fact that Mike McCagnan never really hit on players, in my opinion, that were outside of that first round. You know what I'm saying? The later round, third, fourth, second round guys, those were the guys that, in my opinion, were being dumped because of of McCagnan's inability to um, to evaluate them and to evaluate them on an NFL scale, on an NFL team. Whereas you look at the dumping of, of some of these Giants players and, you know, they're starters. Eli Apple goes to, where'd he go? To the Saints, right? Went to the Saints and was immediately an impact player. I mean, you he traded Damon Snacks Harrison. And the guy was like the seventh best run stopper in the entire NFL. Not just the NFC, NFC East, the entire NFL. So I think that's where the conundrum begins because some of these players and JPP went down to the Bucks, immediate player. So like Gettleman traded players that were immediate impact players, whereas a lot of the guys that were leaving the Jets, in my opinion, were not because they were not, in my opinion, players that were up to snuff to begin with. And I think that's the difference between the Jets dumping and the Giants dumping. Jay in Long Island, you're on the fan. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? All right. Um, I wanted to say something about this quarterback switch by the Giants. Like To me, I think the nail in the coffin, to me, was watching Odell Beckham on Monday night. And the reason why I say that is for Eli is because when you watch what, he, what Odell Beckham did, and the passes and the yards and the 89, mm-hmm. taking it to the house for the touchdown and things like that. And he's in his house, you know, your house that he, you had this guy. And I think the Giants, to me, like sometimes people have pride and they cut up their nose despite their face and they chose Eli, an Asian quarterback, over a young stud. And now I think there was nothing else they could do. Because they say, people always talk, oh, culture, 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 culture. Okay, so allegedly Odell was a problem, which I never heard he was a problem in a locker room. I never heard any reports that he was an issue in a, in a locker room. So they get rid of Odell, they get rid of a couple of other guys, and they talk about this culture, and they still not winning any games. And the only constant thing was Eli. And but you had like if, like if you were just imagine like Daniel Jones with Saquon with Odell Beckham, your future would be much brighter. But now that you get rid of Odell Beckham, it made like it made no sense to get rid of Odell and give Eli that much money if he wasn't going to stay with Eli. It was just it was just like you set your, you set the franchise back, and now you look at Saquon. One of the reasons why Saquon has such a tremendous rookie year is because you had to you you had to identify with Odell Beckham every time on the field. You had to put uh, either a safety high or you had to put that extra guy on Odell. And now that when Saquon gets the ball. And you could just load up on him. There's nobody to throw to. And I'm not expecting too much from Daniel Jones. Like a lot of people thinking, like, oh, he's the next combat and things like that. I mean, I, I like to see young quarterbacks. I like to wait and see what they do. But I, I'm not expecting too much. But I'd rather lose or win with a young quarterback than watch Eli Manning go out there and say, well, he could have beat Tampa Bay. Well, how is that helping the future Eli going out there beating Tampa Bay? Or beating these other guys, we're not. This team is not going to the Super Bowl this season. They're not playoff bound the way it's looking now. They got one of the worst defenses. So even if he, if he could beat 
Tampa Bay and Washington and things like that. That's not helping our future. So now we lost Odell, right? And now we throw in, you know, we throw in Daniel Jones in there with like a limited wide receiver core. And this has everything to do with management because they, like, you know, they, they overreacted because Odell Beckham really was, he did nothing illegal. He never did anything illegal. Mm-hmm. He never really got suspended. He never, so you mad because he was on a yacht. That's the, that was the issue. Or he got into a fight with Norman on the field, which baseball players get into fights all the time. Nobody calls them a cancer or a locker room issue. We've seen, you know, uh, Gardner banging at the dugout. No one ever called him a cancer. Every uh, game. Jay, you Jay. know, it was it like. Yeah, no, no, I get it, Jay. And thanks for the call. I, and I, to your point about the Giants offense with or without Odo Beckham Jr., obviously with him, they're more dynamic. And obviously without them, they're more one-dimensional. And you're right. And, and you're reiterating a lot of the, the, the thoughts I have about Odo Beckham Jr. I think it was the wrong move on the part of the Giants. And uh, we're up against uh, the time clock here. So more on the Giants, Jets, Mets, and Yankees after the break. Well, you can't have New York without sports. And you can't have sports without the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. Good morning, everybody. Again, I'm Danielle McCartan for the final half an hour with you on WFAN uh, till 6 a.m. And if the dawning of a new age isn't as apparent as it is in the NFL with these young quarterbacks, the Giants are starting Daniel Jones tomorrow in place of 38-year-old Eli Manning. This tweet from Adam Schefter just came out over the break, and he said, with quarterback Kyle Allen starting for the Panthers and quarterback Josh Rosen for the Dolphins, 20 quarterbacks age 26 or younger are expected to start in week three, the most the NFL has ever had during a weekend. Just a little nifty little stat there. And uh, listen, uh, the Giants are starting Daniel Jones over Eli Manning. It's the changing of a guard. And and the Jets' young quarterback, Sam Darnold, is out with mono, mononucleosis. Uh, in my opinion, no real timetable for, for return. Although he says the Eagles game, I'm not so sure. But I'm also not a doctor. Mellon, Union Beach, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. You know, my my uh, argument isn't Odell's a bad teammate. I think his teammates love him. I think his problem was with management and his mouth. I mean, they give, make you the highest paid receiver. You go on an interview with Lil Wayne and say you're not happy in New York. Well, mm-hmm. then why'd you sign the contract? You can't say that and expect ownership to be like, oh, great. Then you rip your quarterback. Your quarterback didn't rip you after you played horrible in the playoff games. Fair point. Like, Fair points. You Both can't, them, plural. You, can't uh, you know. Yeah, I know. You can't do stuff like that. And then just because he's a talent, you know, you don't want to be here, then they got to let you go. I mean, that's it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that was ultimately the, the demise of Odell Beckham Jr., Dino in Maryland, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I never thought I'd be talking about Odell today. But, I know, um, me neither. <laughs> the last person just said, uh, I mean, what what you just heard about the story with the women, that's, that's a great story because I'm I'm a big football fan as well. I always love to hear how you're in the, you're in the community helping out people mm-hmm. as far as 
football camps for the for ladies. That's awesome. And but here's my only take with Beckham is that go, going back to the first year when he had, when he had confidence, I thought I think of the Josh Norman the Josh Norman nonsense on the field in Carolina where mm-hmm. the referee had to throw him out, and that changed my little perspective on him then. And then unfortunately it led to. What happened in the playoff game against Green Bay when Eli threw a nice pass to him and he unfortunately dropped it. And yeah. then what the last call said, the running in the mouth. That's the only thing I didn't like about him as far as some of the, some of the shenanigans. Talent-wise, talent he has it all. But I just wanted to bring up those couple of points. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah, thanks, Dino. And thanks for hanging on for that time, too. So, yeah, I mean, all fair points. Um, but, you know, if, if you're the coach and it's your job to get that guy on your side. And as a coach, I can say that. You have to get the kids to play for you. And in this case, you have to get the guys to play for you. And that's a great segue, actually, because I I wanted to touch on Adam Gase a little bit. He seems to me, and I I mentioned it before, that the guys aren't really on all the way on board with him. I think. I'm not in that locker room. But when I see the stud of the defense in, in Jamal Adams unfollow the Jets on Instagram, I see... Adam Gase throwing his players left and right under the bus in his post-game press conference after week one. Speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., there's a parallel right with Adam Gase. And the Jets got manhandled by the Browns on the national stage. You got some issues there, but starting with the head coach. I mean, I don't I, I mean looked I looked at Adam Gase's track record for the for the Jets. I mean, I really don't want to hear the excuses for him because if he's really that good then he could be much more creative on the offensive side. He's supposed to be his offensive guru and quarterback whisperer, and and here we are. And they pulled out this formation. I think I've seen it before on, on Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football. The Wildcat. Are you kidding me? Remind me again why the Jets picked Adam Gase over Super Bowl winning Mike McCarthy, please. Can someone remind me of that? Because in his career – in his career. And I went back to Gase as the offensive coordinator of the Bears. He lasted one year. I, I, I went to, back to Gase, head coach of the Dolphins, in 2016, in 2017, and in 2018. Out of all those years, his highest career total offensive rank, 21st in the league. His highest career rank passing yards per game, 18th. And his highest career rank of rushing has been ninth. But overall, 21st in the league in his career as the highest rank of total offense. I mean, I I was a Mike McCarthy person from the beginning. And I just don't understand. I don't understand. Not to mention the fact that um, they obviously have a quarterback conundrum over there. They threw Falk in there who was on the practice squad on Sunday, 9-15, and they're going to throw him out there against the Super Bowl championship defending Patriots. I think the Jets should make a move because, listen, mononucleosis is a it, it's a big issue. But I'm not a doctor. Maybe he will. Maybe Sam Darnold will be back in time for the Eagles game. I don't know. Okay. How about Adam Gates, the offensive mind and quarterback? At the end of the first quarter on that Monday night game, at the end of the first 15 minutes, the Jets had one first down. They were 0 for 3 on third down, and they ran 11 plays. You get this? You ready for this one? 11 plays for negative three yards. Beecham got manhandled. So what about helping him out, Adam Gase? 
When they asked him that, he mumbled something about schemes. Uh, I mean, if you're really this this offensive guru, you would have figured out a way to keep Miles Garrett out of your backfield, don't you think? And forget about it, Trumaine Johnson. I kind of like, I, I do like this that they benched him. Although he makes fourteen point five million dollars a year, he sat on the bench. He's the third highest paid cornerback in the NFL. So what does that tell you? He's sitting on a bench, yet he's the third highest paid. That doesn't seem to equate in my mind. So I looked at week one, catch rate allowed for him. He he allowed his 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 man that he was covering to catch the ball 73% of the time, 42nd in the league. Passer rating allowed, uh, 105.9, 35th in the league in, in, in terms of cornerbacks in week one. He allowed 81 yards too, 61st in the league in quarterbacks. Cornerbacks. Then he gets benched for Nate Hairston. And, and he allowed a, a catch rate of 100% and a passer rating 118.8 and 83 yards allowed. So, I, I mean, is it the scouting department? I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. And I know he's not working with a lot there. And I know he, that's not defense. It really isn't his thing. But come on, man. The Jets had, had Mike McCarthy, Cliff Kingsbury, and they settled for Adam Gase. I've had Dolphins fans tweet me. I'm sure JJ could tell you too. He's a Dolphins fan. That him leaving Miami was the best thing for the Miami Dolphins. And now he's he's the Jets' problem. And in my opinion, what really should happen is Adam Gase should not make it out of the 2019 season in Jets green. But they're not going to do that. I don't think they're going to do that. Because, and, and then you got to think about how this affects the trickle-down into Sam Darnold. He's a senior at USC in one system. Gets drafted. Todd Bowles' system. Third year, uh, second year in the league, he's in Adam Gase's system. Do you really think that they're going to get a, another head coach in there to have Sam Darnold have worked with four systems in four years? Four playbooks in four years? That's why I think that it was so important to nail on the new head coach of the Jets. And I think they missed. I, I think they missed with, with um, Adam Gase. But I think a lot of people knew that. So I'm just confused as to how they settled on Gase. I could see how they might have wanted to pass on Kingsbury. But Mike McCarthy was willing to take over this team. And he didn't allow him to. And again... I feel like a, a Joe Beningo here. It's like the same old Jets, man. Tried and true, proven quarterback. A, a, a guy that, that has a coach that has a track record of winning Super Bowls. And you're not going to give him the keys to the Jets offense and defense and team. With Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. Head scratching. Totally head scratching. More coming up on your Football Sunday. I'm Danielle McCartan on WFAN.
Listen to the Giants postgame show for the turning point of the game. Then tune in to Boomer and Geo tomorrow morning between 9 and 10 a.m. for your chance to win tickets to a future Giants home game if you're the first person to correctly identify the turning point here on your flagship station for Giants talk, tickets, and games. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And hi, everybody. For the final time, I'm Danielle McCartan here on WFAN Radio. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. The waiting minutes here. Let's uh, just recap some baseball in New York. The Mets have um, a 2% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. And, I mean, miracles happen. Mets fans would know, right? But I looked at their strength of schedule coming up. I mean, what the Brewers have done without Yelich, and they have the easiest strength of schedule, for me, it's it's got to be the Brewers and then the Nationals. I think that's who ultimately gets in. Um, Mets fans, it, it was a roller coaster. And, you know, there's a lot to build off of for this year. Young core, Pete Alonso, uh, DeGrom, uh, you got guys like Conforto, Nimmo, hustles uh, every single play. There's a lot to build off of. But the one recommendation or the two recommendations I would make for the Mets moving forward, you need to keep Mickey Callaway because, and they're hand-in-hand, because if the Mets bullpen pulled their weight, or not even, I, I rank them as an F this current Go around. If they were to improve to like a C minus in the offseason with better personnel, et cetera, et cetera, and that falls on Brody Van Wagenen, if they were to upgrade to like a C plus bullpen, that means that they would probably win like 92 games this year. So I would say that the Mets have, have hope for next year. But I think that you need to stay with Callaway because I think these guys are really playing for him. And I think I think you can't ruin what's going on there. I would evaluate him after his three-year deal is up and then go from there. But the Yankees, they have a lot to look forward for because next week, Yankees will be in the playoffs. And the question now is, how do they manage their pitching? We know that the Yankees can hit. We know that they can score runs, but how do they prevent runs from being put on the board against them? And my recommendation is to go with a three-man rotation. I like Paxton in Game 1, Tanaka in Game 2, Severino in Game 3, and I'd have J-Hap and CC Sabathia on hand to be long-range innings eaters. Three, four innings, I'm talking. And so I think that having Paxton in, in the one spot for two reasons is the best way to go because after the, over the last 10 games, he's 10-0. and 0. I always, and I've been on here saying it, you got to ride the hot hand. Paxton right now has the hot hand. Should Paxton lose, you're in a position where Tanaka tried and true in the playoffs, playoffs Tanaka comes out, and, and you don't put so much pressure on Paxton to win that first game because he's got Tanaka behind him. 
and Tanaka's got the experience. And obviously Severino, we don't know how he's going to be uh, with his his stamina. So we're going to, you know, as fans, as, as, as Yankee fans, we're going to just wait and see with him. But that's why it's important to have Happ and CeCe all hands on deck to provide some relief for those guys if they can't go far. And I'm talking like four to five innings each. I think that's how, how you have to attack it. I think the Yankees are going to match up against the Twins. I think the Yankees are going to beat the Twins. And that's my prediction. And I guess it's prediction time for the NFL, right? I, we talked all about the Jets, a lot about the Jets and the Patriots, and uh, how the Patriots have the number one defense in the league, the number one offense in the league. So over the last commercial break, I'm like sitting here thinking like, okay. And the last I checked, it was a 21-point point spread. Okay, so I'm going to make a prediction. I'm not really ever good at this, but my prediction is, obviously the Patriots over the Jets, my score 35-3. to three. And for the boys in blue, the Giants, I see the Giants leaving Tampa with a victory. I'm going to say Giants over Buccaneers by a score of 13-10. And, I mean, eventually one of these teams has to win, right? The law of averages says either the Jets or the Giants will win eventually. Are the Jets really that bad that even the Miami Dolphins will beat them? Well, we won't be able to see it tomorrow because the Patriots are going to crush the Jets. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know if there's any Jet fan out there that says we have a fighting chance, not with a third-string and a fourth-string quarterback and not with corners that can't cover much of anything. And not without, and and without Quinn Williams, CJ. We know what Mosley means to that defense, because we are watching it on TV, and we see that when Mosley came out that game, the defense totally crumbled. It was there was no leader, and there was nobody. The Jets are in trouble tomorrow up there in Foxborough. The Giants, I think, have a fighting chance down there in Tampa Bay, ninety-two degree Tampa Bay tomorrow. Uh, or later today, actually. Giants play at 4 p.m. on Fox. I think Daniel Jones has an okay start. Saquon Barkley shoulders the, the, the load, and the defense somehow comes up with some stops. That's my Jets-Giants prediction, and I guess my Yankee one in terms of uh, playing the Twins. More of a Twins prediction than anything, though. All right, well, we'll wrap this up. Go to break. We'll wrap this up in uh, a few minutes. And I'm Danielle McCartan on WFAN. Sports Radio 1019 FM, the fan, and Sports Radio 66, WFAN, New York. And good morning, everybody. For the final time, I'm Danielle McCartan here on WFAN. Uh, just a quick recap. Uh, I, when I first started the show, I had uh, that the Giants, I had the Mr. Jones and Me track by the Counting Crows intro. Daniel Jones is the guy moving forward for the Giants, but it would be nice to see the Giants' defense step up a little bit, you know, in terms of getting some pressures on the quarterback, stopping the ball from being thrown downfield, you know, little things, I guess. Um, I just gave you the prediction that I had for the Giants. I had Giants over Bucks 13-10. 
A lot of people on Twitter are saying that they like it. All right, I'll like it if uh, if if it holds true. And then uh, I had the Jets when I started this morning with the sound of silence by Disturbed because it seems like it's just the same old Jets and we're not going to get any answers as fans or as as football watchers from watching them go to Foxborough later today because as I said before, no Antonio Brown for Tom Brady and company. I, like I'll take steal a line from Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It doesn't matter. Start your day. Patriots are the best team in the NFL with or without Antonio Brown. And they still got the number one ranked total offense and number one ranked total defense. So my prediction for that is 35-3 Patriots over Jets in a snooze fest. My song for the the Mets when I opened was Hot and Cold by Katy Perry. Are the Mets in or are they out? It's looking like they're going to be more out than in. They currently sit four, four and a half games back out of the second wild card position. Hey, they made it fun. The Mets made it fun for for themselves and their fans. And they played meaningful baseball in September. They have a lot to build upon. And maybe next year they make the playoffs. Rookie Pete Alonso, 50 home runs this season. Maybe he breaks Aaron Judge's rookie record, 52, set in 2017. Maybe he doesn't. But that's something to watch, right? To keep your eyes glued to the game. And then you got um, the other bright spot still is Jacob deGrom looking to make it back-to-back Cy Young wins. And I think he's got a great shot. Finally, the Yankees. I, I played Eye of the Tiger. Because they've they've overcome so much to get where they are with, uh, what is it, the second best record in all of baseball. Only second to the Houston Astros, who I think they're going to be on a crash course with in the ALCS. You got to tip your cap to Brian Cashman, who made some great moves. Starting with uh, Gio Arcella, starting with um, James Paxton, DJ LeMahieu. And yet... There was a hashtag fire Cashman trending with his name on Twitter at the trade deadline. Go figure. So the Jets and Giants are both sitting at 0-2. Mets are fighting for a playoff berth on their last legs. And the Yankees are angling for a World Series victory, their first since 2009. The Jets and Giants are trending downward, while the Mets and Yankees are trending upward. And uh, I want to thank you guys for being with me tonight. All the callers could not have done it without you, as always. Uh, special thanks to uh, my special guest, Art Stapleton, who joined us at 2.40 live from Tampa Bay to give us his Giants insight, uh, which I thought was was valuable. And I want to thank Emmanuel Behind the Glass, especially set me up with all those songs and stuff. I love that. we got to do more of that. And Marco on the updates. So uh, uh, as far as next time you'll see me, I, I, it's going to be really soon. So stay tuned to my socials. On, on Twitter, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And uh, go Jets, go Giants, go Mets, and go Yankees. I'll see you guys soon.